It says replace on though. No, right now the room is that you see it's place up. I mean next time because the room is open,、okay. you can't change it. Oh, before the room open, I can change it. Okay, got it. That means Tyler, you just schedule, but before the room open, I will just click on the replay on, and then you on. Maybe I will try. I will try. Thank you, baby. Thank you. I like your glasses. Sure, Tyler. Rainy season is in full effect. Ever since you left on Saturday, the、yep. skies have been crying. I've heard.、Oh. <laughs> Yesterday and today have been just dreary. I'm like, what's going on? But、yeah. he, he brought、we'll、the sun with, with him. Then I was just going to say that he brought a little of the sun here. You、It、can nearly see the sky. Yeah, yesterday. What? Yeah, yesterday it was. It was not bad actually. Yeah. Thanks, Tyler, for bringing the sun. In November. No, it wasn't sunny. It just wasn't dreary and cold and rainy. <laughs> Want to see the sky? I said, let's not exaggerate. Yeah. I still there are you, levels、Tyler. to this. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So happy Thursday, everybody. Welcome back. Happy everyone. There's plenty of new news. the 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 live stream is pinned at the top of the、mm -hmm. the Twitter account TNATW. Yeah. And just scanning through the audience to see who's tardy. <laughs> But Cheryl can、uh, help、yep. the tardy kids. Okay. So I've got a breaking news though. Go ahead. Germany. It was one hour ago. Germany emergency services numbers one one two one one zero all suffered for. Uh, from、uh, widespread outage, so the emergency numbers of the police and the fire departments are not working in a large parts of Germany. The cause of the outage is still not known. That's all. So they are still investigating at the moment. Okay. But if you are in Germany, yeah, you can、uh, probably come and let us know what's the situation later. And then, while before we get into the headlines,、um, Lakisha, if you can. Uh, say more about Pete because Myanmar was in the news yesterday that the UN says there was two million people desperately in need of aid. As if you know that they usually say that, meaning if they don't get aid, you know they're all, you're going to have two million casualties due to famine or lack of water or something. So,、uh, which I mean, no, you know, us living in Thailand and me having Burmese team members. At my place, I, I'm familiar with how、uh, severe things are in parts of Myanmar. So I wonder if Pete might.、Uh, yeah. Yes.、Yeah, sure, sure. And I think it's better、oh, if he、sure. just speaks directly. But、um, and then if he's too、sure. modest, I'll fill in the pieces. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, Lakisha.、Um, so, yeah. Thanks, Tyler and Cheryl. I think you guys are doing a great job.、Um, there's about 55 million people in Myanmar, and.、Uh, In 8th of November last year,、uh, 83% of them voted for a democracy, and on the 1st of February this year,、uh, the、uh, the military junta generals took control of the country. They've got 500,000 soldiers that are paid about $150 a month,、um, and they've got guns, and the other guys don't. So、uh, it's it's、uh, it's a coup d'état.、Um, they've taken control of the country. And the numbers for、um, deaths—they've、uh, done very well with their PR to to make the world think there's only been a you know maybe a thousand or two thousand people killed. We, we think the numbers are probably closer to 
10 to 20,000 um, and detentions um, more than that. Um, it's, it's very nasty what's going on over there. They're fighting back with slingshots and more recently they've been capturing guns. Um, it looks like Pol Pot all over again. Uh, we, we built a, a, a wallet app to try and solve the financial inclusion problem um, to get them from, from uh, 5 million people with bank accounts, which is less than 10%, up to um, about, oh, I don't know, 20, 15 to 20 million, depending on what you count. Um, but that's nothing compared to the health situation. They're ranked about 200th. Uh, they're on the bottom of the ranking list. Um, there's lots of countries that aren't ranked, but they're on the bottom, literally on the bottom of the list globally on the health system and um, depending on the, the independent NGO analysis you're seeing now, there's somewhere between 2 million and 3.4 million that have been uh, displaced or likely to go into severe poverty. Um, uh, you know, they've just been, they have a four, thing they call the four cut strategy where they cut out, cut out access to the internet. So vast parts, most parts of the country have had no internet to suppress um, communication. They suppress food, water and, and health. So they even weaponized COVID by uh, controlling access to you know, medicine and oxygen. So it's a fun place right now. Uh, we, 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 we and about another 300 people from Myanmar fled uh, to Thailand. There are about 5 million people in Thailand from Myanmar. Um, for those of you that don't know where it is, it's between, it's sort of between China, India, Bangladesh uh, on the west, uh, Laos uh, on the north northeast, and and Thailand on the on the uh, east, um, and it's been isolated for fifty years because of military control, and they're just gradually getting towards a real democracy. So um, it's pretty wild, pretty wild times over there, and we need the international support and awareness. Please tell your friends. And then, could you comment on the why why this coup happened and it? And it came out of nowhere rather suddenly or, or yeah so there's been a lot of talk about the um you probably would have heard about the rohingya crisis which is um sure. the the um the muslim minority major, major, predominantly muslim minority on the west side um near bangladesh and and a lot of those people have been um you know there for a very very long time we're talking generations um, but there was a growth and the, the, some of the nationalists, uh, the, the sort of hard, hard right nationalists led by this military leader that now is here, um, now has taken control. Uh, he was leading the suppression of other uh, minority groups previously. So um, including the, 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 the um, some nationalist Chinese on the, on the northeast border and then uh, he, he led the, and it is genocide, it was absolutely genocide, there's no doubt about it. He led the genocide against them. Um, um, just, you know, this is just a few years ago. And the um, it's no no surprise to anyone that he didn't then use that power rush to take control of the country. But what is what is quite saddening is that um, the, the, the newly elected Democratic leader, Aung San Suu Kyi, who's now in her 70s, um, and loved by the country, they call her mother. Um, she's been imprisoned uh, by him, and, and basically she was trying to walk this tightrope with the international community. She was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize and then sort of uh, had it uh, taken away again um, because she was having to sort of compromise her own sort of position to, um, to keep this tentative track to, towards democracy. But that's just been completely thrown away now. So 
uh, most of the Democratic Party, it's called the NLD, uh, is, has been in jail. Uh, and I, I could go on for ages, so let's let's not uh, let's not dwell on it. But I hope that addresses some of the points. And just a, a little bit of extra background about Pete. So he was CIO of KBZ Bank, which is, I believe, the largest bank in Myanmar. And so when we talk about fintech and digital and in, financial inclusion, particularly to people in you know developing parts of the world, um, you know he has extensive background, as well as having um, coached um, some some unicorns. So. So I'm really, really glad to, sure. to fill out your background. Okay, I'll stop there. Thanks. Okay, thank you for that. So what we're gonna do is we always do welcome back and happy Thursday, November 11th, everybody. Here comes that sound. And here comes the headlines. So the top story today is that YouTube starts hiding public dislike counts on videos to keep smaller creators. Ah, why do you think they're hiding the dislike number? Anyone have want to wager a guess as to why they're hiding dis dislikes now? Mental stress? For why? What do you mean mental stress? No. Well, I think maybe people's mood will be affected if uh, they see too many un uh, people who don't like them. I don't so know. Just, I'm not a creator, so I don't I'm, know how you I'm, feel that. I'm uh, assuming, Tyler, they just want to have more creators, and it's hard to become a successful creator if everyone dislikes your account. You so they're down, yeah. Precisely. So they can get artificial support. Correct. So it's, it's to keep smaller creators or newbie creators from being targeted by dislike attacks uh, and more specifically, you notice on TikTok, there's no dislikes. It's just all likes. And uh, the young kids love the TikTok because they get nothing but, you know, little little likes and hearts and kisses. And the, when, when, when young people are starting off on the web, um, it's a common phenomenon that most people who fancy themselves to become kind of creators of any kind, you know, um do anything booing, right? yeah, well you get you just get there are haters on the internet who you know are angry at themselves and they're you know they they hate themselves so they project that onto every every piece of content they engage with they're going to be very nasty about it and a lot of people have never encountered such people and they're not used to being hated and they can't handle it and then they are not able to be pursue their career as a creator. If you're going to be a creator on the web, you have to have a very thick skin because there's a whole lot of haters out there. I mean, a whole ton and they will find you and they will DM you. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that's part of the game. And a lot of people can't handle that. And I think this is partly why TikTok has had a breakaway success because, and to some degree, Instagram as well, the, there's no, well, on Instagram, they can comment and I'm sure people get a lot of haters on there. Twitch also is trying to reduce the the hate in the comments. But all of that, uh, just a one-sided affection on TikTok, I think is very interesting. And then I'm not surprised to see it coming to YouTube. Um, um, is this a positive move, though? I mean, if, how I, do you yeah. get a thick skin in the first place? Uh, you know, I've, I've had over a million students on Game Dev, and yeah, probably 10,000 people spouting random negative stuff and the response is always you know thanks for your feedback we'll, you know we, we, we try to make an improvement we'll try to do better 
we've made a change. How do you think of it now? They, they, you know, the, the wrong people never actually come back constructively. You can do what you like. You'll never satisfy them, as you say. Um, but the pursuit to try and satisfy that bottom 1% um, does tend to make the product a lot better. Um, I wonder how people will, creators or kids will be if, they, if they're so wrapped in cotton wool that they don't get a single God, thumbs down. Yeah. God bless you Brits for understanding the importance of this and the importance of having a thick skin. It's like you guys are conscious of it and Americans never really became um, as conscious of this. That, that, that is a skill that I honestly should be taught in schools at this point. That uh, Tyler, yes. Tyler, actually the creators can see the dislikes. They just don't appear publicly. So it's still, is, that, is that what the uh, article says? Yes, yes. Oh. You, you still can, uh, yeah, if you are the uploader, I mean the creator, you can still see how many dislikes you get, but it's not shown under oh. the, uh, yeah, the video. So you gather your feedback. Uh, I would love to, I want to make sure that that's true. That would seem kind of strange. It would defeat the whole point. Dislike right. counts going, it says they're going private. So you could be right. Could help hide an embarrassing piece of YouTube history. The most disliked video on the entire of all of YouTube is the YouTube's own rewind or, or synopsis of 2018. That particular recap video sparked so much ire that YouTube recently announced the annual rewind videos were canceled. <laughs> oh, yeah, so, maybe, maybe that's why they're hiding a dislike. Exactly right. They hold the, hold the trophy for the worst, yeah. <laughs> and they, yeah, own. And, it, and, it, and YouTube itself stopped becoming a creator of those videos due to the dislikes. That's very ironic. There's also an argument that not being able to see public dislikes could lead to users watching a video that's not very good as insincere apology perhaps and informative looking content that ends up being an ad still you this is a good point maybe there's a lot of crap content out there that is actually clickbait and that's your chance to let other viewers know this was clickbait they put a fake you know title or image that happens this this does happen and that's what Though that might become much more prevalent if there's no dislike button, because people aren't going to be able to have a way to signal to each other other than in the comments that this is all clickbait. I think, I think there's an in, oh, sorry. interest. Sorry, just an interesting distinction in the way you process it. So I've just been thinking it through. So Rich, Richard Branson's mum famously left him several miles from home when he was only a few years old and said, "Kind of make your home own way home." Now, you could process that as my parents don't love me, and that would be that would be bad. You know, uh, you could get abandonment issues or whatever. Or you could process it as um, a challenge, uh, a problem that needs to be solved. So certainly when when I used to look at the feedback from from our courses, it, I think I did put it into one of those two buckets. A, a piece of feedback had come back, come in. It, it would either have something tangible in it you can do something about, in which case it would go in the bucket of let's immediately change the content. Um, go back to the student and say, hey, we've made a tweak to the video content. Um, take another look. What do you think? Hopefully you'll enjoy it. And really thank them for being the tip of the iceberg of people who actually speak up um, such that all of the other people who take and, you know, get a better experience. So they're, they're awesome, those people. However they put it, I don't care how they phrase it. The question is, in the feedback, is there something actionable? And then the other bucket would be you read it. You read it four or five times, kind of frowning and trying to look and see if there's anything actionable in there. 
And then you realize it's just some ranty moron uh, and there is nothing you can do about it. In which case it goes in the other bucket of just like, uh, thanks for letting us know kind of, and just ignore it. Um, that's, I mean, that's quite an interesting, you know, binary way of kind of processing. Is this actionable? Is it a challenge? Is it something that I can, I can do something about um, or should I just ignore it? So. Yeah, at, at this point, I mean, I, I'm sincerely thinking there should be, a, just like there's sex ed in schools, or there used to be when I was a kid, there should be how to deal with uh, negativity, <clears throat> how to deal with haters, how to deal with people pushing back against you, because it seems like that is a, is a very real part of life that many people are ill-equipped to deal with. And the, this kind of speaks to that. I, I, and I think of my you know, uh, his friends from Israel who are incredibly well adept at how to debate people who disagree with them, who, and my Jewish American friends kind of inherited, you know, a, a family environment where debate and disagreement is just ever present and is part of, you know, a moving forward. Is It comes through debate and disagreement and they don't have this inherent um, reluctance uh, or, or avoidance of um, anyone who has, you know, a differing opinion, and it's and I and I, I see that as an incredible strength and an asset that I, I would hope would be more adopted uh, elsewhere. It, it's it's an interesting it's an interesting culture that gets created where you hide the negativity because the, and the biggest example of this maybe may the most pronounced. Uh, example of this is college campuses where the students are not allowing speakers who have opinions of which they find distasteful, that they disagree with. They don't want to give stage time to speakers who say things that they fundamentally disagree with. And it, so, it's pervaded yeah, in so, corporate culture so, a little bit as well. It's, um, exactly true, right. because, it's, coming, into, it's to... coming into big corporates as well. Look at look, a great example. Thank you, Ben. The yeah, but it's but it's interesting, Tyler, because the, essentially what we're saying is resilience is reducing overall, whether it's mental, physical, you know, cognitive resilience or whatever perspective. And ironically, organizations are talking about we need to be more resilient in order to survive in the future. But the people within those organizations, at least the new generations coming in, are being less resilient at a personal level. Right. So there's a it's going to get interesting to how companies will survive in the future if everyone's right. going to be so uber sensitive on everything. This is the point. It is getting into corporate culture. And that's come. Those are the students who were at the universities that catered to silencing you know, voices that they disagreed with. And now they go into the workplace and they expect kind of similar treatment. And now yeah, after they, they finish their four years at you know, some Silicon Valley job. Next thing you know, they're on some government, you know, some school board or some whatever. And this is what's the, the concerning bit. So anyway. No, they walk out because there was a joke that was on their platform, which right. they didn't like. Right. <laughs> right. right. I'm, so anyway. I'm not quite sure how I feel about it, because on one hand, the, the term so sunsetting, let's use the, the term sun, sunsetting. I was on a call with Udemy.com at some point, you know, kind of talking about that, like some future product ideas and stuff with them and yada, yada. 
And they said, you know, we're, we're letting our instructor partners know that we're sunsetting this feature now. And I said, whoa, whoa, hold on. In front of several people, I'm like, what the fuck? What, what is sun? I literally like, what the fuck? And they look like they're even taken back that I use that word. I'm like, dude, it's not going to kill you. And I said, what the hell is sunsetting? They said, well, the feature is no longer going to be continued. Oh, you're scrapping the feature because it didn't work. They, no, 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 we're, we're sunsetting it. I'm like, <laughs> what, what, what do you mean you're sunsetting it? Is it oh, am I going to be able to use the feature in three months? No, we're sunsetting it. So you're scrapping it. You're discontinuing. No, we're not discontinuing. We're, we're sunset. I'm like, dudes, it's dressed up nicely. That sounds right. nice. We would like to sit and watch a sunset, but for fuck's sake, it failed. You're sunsetting <laughs> it. We're moving on. Yeah. And 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 they, they it was really on one hand. When I left it, I was like, it's actually quite sweet, isn't it? Oh, isn't it nice that we're going to watch a sunset? Right. But they're pulling the plug on this expensive and disruptive feature. You could also say it how it is. Yeah, there's, there's a term that's going around in the U.S. and and some of you, it's it's considered derogatory, but it's it's sort of a people who are uber sensitive like this, you know, or so the extreme of political correctness, they're being called by the other the other extremes as snowflakes, right? Yeah, I think you've all heard of that. They melted so, everything. Of course. So check this out. The we opened this room today, uh, twenty minutes ago, with the first comment of the day. Lakeisha will recall was her expressing how she thought the last room that we had 12 hours ago was one of the best rooms in a very long time that we've ever had. And the reason she liked it was primarily because we had two uh, regular members had a very vibrant disagreement for nearly an hour. I mean, this, it went on and on and on and on and on. And it was, I even had to use the boxing bell. And I'll tell you what, I got a DM during the middle uh, when I used the boxing bell to announce the end of the first round of that skirmish. And she says, here it is. This debate on Apple was amazing, and I wish you hadn't stopped it. Michael is a great part of the, of the speakers. I listen every morning. And so, I mean, a lot of people agreed, even when we opened the room today, that, yeah, that was, you know, uh, that. And what was interesting about it was the debate got very heated but never got uh, intentionally, personally insulting or disrespectful. I mean, it, it got close. It, got, it could have got there, but it didn't. And that's the important part that could be incredibly useful for people to, as a, a maybe that's useful for a lot of people in the audience to witness that kind of uh, intense debate without it getting personal. There was never any real personal attacks. Thank God, but I, I'm not surprised. They're both gentlemen at the end of the day. And um, even though I'm prone to, you know, crossing that line from time to time, but the a lot there's a lot to be learned from 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 that that exchange. There was a lot of truth that gets exposed when both people are willing to kind of go all in with the gloves off to hear say what you really want to say and we're going to let you say it and we're not no one's going to cancel each other at the end of the day we're going to shake hands but uh, let's hear what you really think and let's hear your best ability to make your point and take down the other person's point it's like a, it's like a verbal wrestling match and it is when it's done like it was done yesterday it's enthralling to watch so um, and it really helps that it's actually on social audio because you can imagine if you're in the same room I will have left the room. <laughs> but but you Sorry. know what though, Tyler? I mean, what you've just described, in my opinion, is the essence of tech news around the world. Yes, it's about yes. the headlines, but I think what was nostalgic for me is 
last night took us back to the core where you have people that have strong points of view who are, you know, who have um, deep knowledge and could really talk about the issues. So, I mean, the headlines are good, you know, to get kind of the updates of what's happening, but the essence of who we are as, as a team, as a family now, I mean, last week certainly proved that, you know, those of us that show up every day, we, we have something stronger than just being team members or colleagues, right? So, we we know each other. We understand each other. We're not afraid to go there, but it's all about trust and respect and a willingness to to learn. And I, I think to the extent that we're able to, you know, really kind of keep that at the core, um, it's it's part of our secret sauce. Well, I fully, I think. I fully agree. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. how do you get to your truth if you're filtering internally everything you say as, you, as you're yeah. trying to say it? It's right. Yeah. Um, you have to be you have to be you have to create an environment where you're going to allow them the the space uh, the space to even uh potentially over you know uh stretch go, go. overstep the mark that's what i was oh, going to say yeah. is, is that it, this even drawing a line of personal attacks i mean i'm listening to a lot of the bitcoin rooms and it's fascinating yesterday i heard somebody being polite and it was really strange this guy was saying, look, I don't, I don't disagree with you. Somebody who speaks every day, he was prefacing things with like, I don't disagree with you. And I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't doubt the intention of anything you say. That's very rare in those rooms. It'd normally be, look, motherfucker, you are dumb. You know, your mum didn't love you. And what the hell are you talking about? Um, <laughs> um, you know, you're worthless and you've got no education. Uh, and, and the people don't care. They love each other. Just same family yeah. atmosphere as here. But, but the, ma the Maxis are a special, the Maxis are a special, special breed. Snowflake. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, opposite of a snowflake. Yeah. Well, they have skin yeah, yeah, just, So the Tyler, interesting I'm... debate would be: do you, do you want to not? Is it really you know ringing the bell if you step over the mark into 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 something personal? I mean, I on one hand I completely agree you shouldn't make personal comments, but on the other hand, does it does it matter? It's all about the recipient. I, 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 it's quite fun to have a challenge to think of something somebody can say to you that should that can hurt. I mean, come on, what, but, why? come on, Ben. We're not into like S and M, right? You know, it's it's really verbal S and M. That's it, right there. It's, verbal S and M. It's, it's about the we content. Just went there, ben. It's about pushing the edge. It's about, I mean, but it's never personal, right? It's about having a point of view. And I wish that Cal were here. I yeah, know that you he's know what, Lakeisha, it's, but it's it's about having a strong point of view. It's not just about you know tweeting headlines and kind of reading them out. I mean, yes, it's good to be updated, but I, I think one of the things that I sometimes miss, I feel like I'm taking us into that zone, but but this is like a family round table right now. One of the things that I sometimes miss is having, you know, having like people that are so Lakeisha strong Mrs. in their Duffy. point of view. <laughs> no, well, I didn't go there. I didn't go there. I know. But what I do miss <laughs> Those were the days. <laughs> but what I do miss is, you know, having people who are like, really, really top, you know, um, and, and really know their content and really have a point of view. And we're able to hear multiple perspectives. I think that's where new knowledge comes from. I think that's where we're able to create new synthesis. I think that's how we're able to learn, you know, so we're not just reciting, you know, but we're, we're really, we're pushing the boundaries both, um, you know, individually, but then collectively. You know, what I, does that mean? What are the different points of view? Yeah. How do we get to share understanding? But again, Tyler, you, you, you might also remember very early on when I started joining the community and there was a heated debate. I tried to wing in and to kind of uh, mediate 
and I got just yes. Oh my God, I forgot about that. Florian, I remember that. I forgot that. about that. Yes, yes. I remember this. Lessons. Oh man, I got yes. beaten up in between, and then I said, yes. I shut just up, and I and then now yeah, Florian's yeah. learned I, to just let it breathe. I forgot. Yep. So this is, I got to retell this story for those who weren't there. <laughs> Thank so, you, Tyler, Professor yes. X. Yeah. So uh, and Florian, I I came. I, I was very actually very curt and even rude with you in in correcting you know what was happening and i have i've felt bad about how i responded to you for many weeks after that uh, and i'm glad we can laugh about it now but the at the time we had this nightly ritual where we would take the most contentious article and let people on both where it was an issue where half the audience felt one way half the audience felt another way and you get two people really, or sometimes groups of people, two versus two or three versus three, really bo- duking it out, like boxing you it out. Unleash the fury. Yes, and it was, it was typically the American gathering. This is the European time zone, morning time zone, and this With was some in, Americans in here. Yeah, it, but anyway, it would get very heated almost every night. And Florian, as a European, comes in, and I forget who was arguing that day. Anyway, but Florian was trying to stop their argument, which is no, we're here too to have that argument. And he's like, guys, 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 like, you know, this is becoming unproductive. You had a, you were, you were actually valid in your point, which is. I remember. Uh, right. Leon, Le- Le- oh, oh yes. Again, yeah, 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 yeah. Charles. No, it was Leon. Charles. It was Charles and, and yeah, Leon. And Leon. they were, they were, they can both, those two dudes can handle it. Like those guys love to argue. Right. And <laughs> specifically those two gentlemen. Are are very comfortable in a very heated debate, so they were going at it very strongly, as they had done many times before. This was not their first strong argument, so we know how it's going to play out. And Florian, it was his first time watching one of these arguments, especially between Such these a two gentlemen. Guys. <laughs> right, and Florian was being, you know, a Swiss. Swiss, you know, he he's like, guys, come on, break it up. You know? <laughs> and I was like, Florian. No, you're stop. You're making you're you're actually going to make it a worse problem here. Just stay off the court. Let these guys, you know, duke it out. On it's like a it's like a hockey match, where if you've not watched hockey before, and you know that in in hockey matches there's always a fight, or it's not even a real hockey match. By many, uh, you know, by many hockey fans would say if there's no fight, there was not no, it wasn't a real game. So when these two guys start throwing off the gloves in the middle of the ice rink and start battling at it, and Florian's stepping in to to stop it i'm like no 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 that's what we're here to do and i even you know was quite rude to florian and and asking him to sit that's you know remain seated while the boxing match ensues anyway shut the fuck up that's what yeah yeah you're screwing with my bookmaking Yes. But <laughs> no. you know what's, you know, I oh go ahead go ahead finish no, i was gonna say i was i've also overstepped uh I remember being very rude to Shahin at one point. I remember being very rude to, uh, I believe, Ken at one point and various people. Jonathan at various recently. Huh? And Who? Jonathan recently. Yes, Jonathan. that's right. I was. Cool. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I got very heated at Donna and even Donna, who I love, actually. I have. What? Yeah. <laughs> But you know what it is? I think part of it is this notion that I believe in, and, and that's iron sharpens iron, right? So if you're strong, I mean, and it's, and I can't believe that I'm saying this because, you know, Cal, you know, who 
I, I'm sure he's listening somewhere. So Cal was my boss back in the day, and he used to set up these kinds of situations um, at work. And I remember being in his office once, and I was like, Cal, I went home with a migraine yesterday. And he was like, okay, that's good. <laughs> and I'm like, what do you mean? <laughs> because there was this guy, I mean, and, and Cal would intention. He's like, now you have a point of view. Now you have something to stand on. And I, you know, and I guess it's maybe just a matter of time and appreciation, but, but I do, I think that it's important that, you know, as people, as leaders, as, as folks with, you know, who are shaping dialogues, we have to have a point of view, you know, and that comes out by, by sharing it and maybe defending it and then maybe relenting, but, but just showing up and sitting on the stage and reading a headline that doesn't do it. Hmm. I got I have to, I have to add Sorry. real quickly that Chris is in the top of my mind as we talk about this, because he had a masterful way of making his point very strongly while also recognizing the other person's point. And what a, what a masterful, uh, it was an active listener, Tyler. He was yeah, an excellent act, active, listener. even against his somebody he, you know, directly disagreed with strongly. He would, he would sincerely listen to try to understand your perspective and would work to as best as he possibly could. And he could do it better than anybody embody your argument and try and see it from your perspective to try and gain your perspective. And from time to time, he would even say, I see where you're saying, I see what you're saying. And there's a lot of truth to what you're saying. And it was, it was, I learned a lot from, from him and we, we've all lost uh, from, you know, not having his voice here with us. Uh, Tyler, the, the other thing was, the other thing he would also do is he'd say, okay, I'm convinced I, I, I'm ready to change my mind. Yeah. I've heard him say that a couple of times. So he would, yeah. he would have a strong view, but yep. he'd be ready to be convinced. Oh yeah. If you, if you could make a better argument, he would change, you know, to, you know, if, you, if there was a better perspective, he would adopt it. It's, that's the, that's true intellectual honesty right there. So it's, it's that's, that's key. That, that flexibility is, that's key. That, yep. Lakeisha, at the risk of cordially agreeing with you on two fronts, which I'm trying not to do this morning. Um, <laughs> firstly, I love that iron sharpens iron. It kind of also implies that, you know, diamond or something harder blunts it. So I think that's a really makes me think of like three people in a rock, paper, scissors, you know, and maybe to get a good discussion, you have different people interacting with different people in different ways, such that it's not just a loggerhead or one person doesn't shut down. Um, but the other thing you, you talked about is the importance of like the content as well, that the people who are arguing or debating have got to have something new to bring, some new facts. It's not just going back and forth with with with, with quips. You know, there's actually some new content there. So so thanks for the stimulating. Right. And, I'm and trying to be contentious here and now I'm thanking you. But anyway, <laughs> but I, I, it's good to see Tina here because Tina used to participate in our old or our old school heated debates from time to time. Um, so uh, the next article is hey, Tyler. Yes. Yeah. Uh, uh, just one more thing on Chris. Um, is there anyone who's taking the ball and running with the GoFundMe? Yes, yes. we're making progress. You're with looking that. on it. Yeah. Um, and later on today, today, uh, no, tomorrow at the 10 a.m. Pacific time, uh, we are going to have a session in Kama Club to talk about entrepreneurs uh, and how to guard their health. But uh, it is also a session to congratulate uh, Chris and uh, Dr. Francine will be uh, dropping, uh, airdropping uh, her Kama coin, and uh, the, uh, the the proceeds will will go will go to Chris and his family. So please join us. And Regina will be there, right? Yes, yes, Regina will be there on stage to understand the content. Yes, that's right. For those who don't know, um, well, for, first, we lost one of our most beloved uh, Tech News members here. 
And his wife, Regina, has been joining us nearly every day since that. And it's incredibly touching to me personally. I imagine it is for those in the room who know that, that she's here with us each day. And she does it because, she, you know, she woke up every morning and went to sleep every night listening, you know, remotely uh, and overhearing it. Yeah. And she says she wants to be close to Chris's uh, hobby. So that's why she's, yeah, listening as well. By the way, I've already pinned the uh, the room on top of this room. So please click on it and click on the bell and then you'll be reminded when the, the room starts. Thank you. Thank you, Cheryl. So... The next article, number two, is that the U.S. Justice Department is suing Uber, alleging that Uber overcharged riders with disabilities in violation of the Americans with Disabilities Act. The U.S. Justice Department said Wednesday it filed a lawsuit against Uber, alleging the company charged disabled passengers a wait time fee when they were slow to enter their rides. Oh, that's truly egregious. Oh, man. I... I on the face of it, I gotta say that's really screwed up. You uh, mean they won't stop being handicapped if uh, it costs too much? Jesus, uh, I, I gotta say, I as much as you know, I'm quite friendly with the, many of the very earliest Uber folks uh, and very dear, dear friends. In fact, um, I, uh, you know what? You should withhold judgment. It's alleged. So yeah. I know, I'm just saying, that's why I specifically said on the face of it, if this is what it claims to be, then, you know, then then let it be this way. Let let, app, let, let geeks and entrepreneurs around the world know uh, this, this is uh, something that uh, can't really be uh, overlooked. Um, this is not I cool. Guess, yeah. I guess they didn't want to, you know, put like take the cost of it because they'd still, I guess, have to pay the Uber drivers because in the end, nobody would pick up people who would be handicapped or visibly right. handicapped in some way. So right. they would have to take the cost on themselves and they didn't think you to know do what, that. Though? It's, you it's, there, there's, a, there's a whole other perspective, which is if, I mean, why not become and brand yourself as the... A, a massive solution for, you know, because a lot of people who are disabled aren't able to drive. So that that demographic could disproportionately become some of your best users, because right, they're they're not they don't own cars. Yeah, or they, they, Tyler, yeah. they are already. Uh, Tyler, it, hang on, hang, hang, wait, hang on. Hans is trying to jump in, and for those who don't know, Hans uh, is directly related to and has built one of the most beautiful solutions, which Apple itself gave. A, a, one of its most prestigious awards to Hans for, for building yeah the, the the design of the year award for I believe it was 2020 or 2021 Hans 2021 this yeah 2021. so Hans I would I'm, I'm eager to hear your point here go ahead uh, thank you um, I know uh, that a lot of people uh, in the U.S. is using Uber uh, and the other uh, ride-sharing uh, apps uh, intentively. Right. Uh, but I also know, uh, and, and I'm kind of willing to make a trade-off with them. Uh, if they stop uh, not accepting uh, guide dogs, then we can pay a little more because it is so embarrassing for people and for Uber that uh, you um, order a car and then when they see the guide dog uh, and the, the 
guide dog handler cannot see them, then they just uh, go by uh, wow. and without picking the person up. And this is, uh, yeah, outrageous, uh, stupid of them. And, and <clears throat> yeah, there have been a lot of cases like this. So uh, I, I'm, they simply need to up their game a little bit uh, for their most vulnerable uh, customers. Uh, yeah, sorry. Well, my point is, is why not embrace that and use it as, I mean, even if you're being a greedy capitalist and be like, listen, we are the preferred, you know, um, we're a huge solution to this community mm. and wear that as a badge of honor. And it might cost you a little bit, but so does marketing and PR. Yeah, it would be amazing. PR. Tyler, yeah. there is there is an element like when you look at New York City, for example, I think Hans is like so absolutely correct because my father was disabled and it's a very interesting dynamic because first of all, the city is very crowded. So it's, a, it's also a logistical nightmare because they require more space in some ways, like if they have a dog or if they have uh, probably like some sort of assisted uh, product that they're going with, like a walker or something that assists them with it. It's a challenge with a number of things. One, our medical system doesn't have what they have in Netherlands, for example, where there is a set system that comes and picks you up that the government will handle. Meaning like if there's people that are disabled that need to take a ride share, there is a system here in Holland that will pick them up at free of charge and get them to where they wanna go, especially if it's going to like an appointment or something. So it's, a, it's interesting to see and Hans being blind and having made that app is one um, physical impairment, but there are other physical impairments. One of my yoga teachers is an amputee and she used to teach in Manhattan with me and she used to have a hard problem trying to get just to a cab that would stop for her because she was an amputee and they knew it would not be able to get the next ride. And that was yellow cabs, right? The Uber was a little bit better, but I think it A, depends on the disability you have. B, it depends on the infrastructure of the country's systems and logistics of travel, TSA. And then the, uh, <clears throat> the other part would be what you just said about capitalism. There's got to be someone that would be interested in making an Uber app for those that are physically challenged. And that person could become a unicorn themselves because there are so many people. And in Europe, the population's aging. This is also something. How much do you want to have these individuals behind the wheel of a car if they can drive? You know, this is where there's a, a myriad of things to consider as we age, how this could actually be a proactive app that could help not just disabled or physically challenged, but those that also may become physically challenged as they get older, because not everyone's going to keep their eyesight well, not everyone's going to keep their, their limbs well. It's just, a, it's just a matter of how well we, how you live your life. I guess autonomous cars will solve that problem. Yeah, I was just thinking that. In but Sweden, what's the in-between? In, in Sweden, we have a pretty good system here um, where the government subsidizes, um, I think they're like prepaid cards. So if your disability or you're, you're temporary uh, getting surgery and you're disabled for a, a short time, you get one of these cards and then you basically get nearly free cab rides that's booked through a special system, but the end drivers are private companies. So I get, I'm guessing there's some sort of uh, way to ensure that there's enough of these disabled vans and so forth. Yeah, the challenge is, is that Sweden, what's the population of Sweden? Nine million, the population of New York City is 18 million alone. United States is 335 million. 
it's something, I think this was discussed yesterday, Tyler, about um, South Korea. <clears throat> Someone was commenting on how, how small the country is versus being able to sort of replicate that model in a bigger country where there's more bureaucracy. Because I know the Dutch themselves, uh, from my MBA, there was something interesting that they tried to solve a problem for China and China actually laughed at them because they were like, well, wait a second, you expect your, your problem that you solved in a country of 16 million to be scalable to a country of 1.4 billion, they pretty much got laughed at. And I think that's the challenge is, is how can we think out of the box? And as the late Chris, my trader Joe Chris would say, how can we look at it from their set of lenses as well? Like how can we get into that person's shoes and see how it feels for them to be ostracized or be um, negated in society because they have a disability that they didn't ask for? You know what I'm saying? There is less respect towards them as well. And I see, I saw it with my dad. I saw it with my, my friend. And, you know, it's even scarier when you're a minority because my friend was African-American. And they didn't even want to take her home because she lived in a bad part of Brooklyn. So you see, this is where it gets really, and she was a female. So it gets really, really sort of tricky how to solve the problem unless you actually know the deep recesses of what the deeper problem is and also it's, inter, it's, it's interconnected. There are several problems. It's quite complex in my opinion. I do understand what Amy was trying to say at the same time, who is going to pay the, um, the cost for the disabled people? Because that's the issue we have in Japan since we have been very big issue of the aging societies and many um, older generations have to give up their driver's license and having the issue of their uh, moving around in the evening uh, shopping so at the same time, who is going to pay the price to support Correct. them? Because aging societies That's means right. that oh. the, we have to in, we've been increasing huge amount of tax every year, actually, well, every year, especially for the social securities, and which is really causing huge uh, gap between um, younger generation versus uh, elderly, which also having very much troublesome issue. We haven't managed to sort out yet. So I understand Amy's point of view at the same time. We need to think about accessibility as well as the cost. Who is going to pay the, the cost? Correct. Yeah, well, and your, actually, your, your point, point is you've Tomoko's... got half your population is going to need some kind of assistance. <laughs> like, with, you know, you could, half the population's over the age of 55 or something, and then very soon half the population's over 60 or 65. And now, you're going to need that two minute uh, window that Uber gives you before they start the ride, uh, the clock. You only have two minutes from the time it arrives to getting in the car and going, or they start charging you. They might need to increase that as the po average population age goes from 50 to 60 to 70. Tyler, then we don't really have Tomoko's point is very interesting. Let me just say one thing Tomoko, the Maragato. Um, there's one interesting thing that she said that's super fascinating, and Tyler, it dovetails back to what you've been talking about for months in terms of children and China that Chris was also talking about kids, right? The reality is, is that kids are there to also support the ecosystem of the, of the whole economy as well, because if you don't have a younger generation to take up the slack, unfortunately, using the word very loosely, you will run into issues like what Tomoko's saying. Okay, great, they're getting older. Who's going to pay for that? And the challenge there is if the younger generation isn't there to start contributing to the system, then that basically leaves older people having to work longer, 
in the jobs to contribute more into the, eco the economic system because you're seeing the same thing in Holland. We're seeing it here as well because the older are getting older, 50% of the population is over 64 and the young generation wants to go to Bali, Thailand and uh, you know, Vietnam and be digital nomads. And they're not contributing into the social system. So now the social system is getting affected Ooh. where they're cutting the money. And that's where it gets dangerous because you just, they're you just, cutting you just, you, just, you just added a whole monkey wrench into the conversation. I know. Because, I do that nicely. Yeah, well, because if the, the population in Japan is aging quickly and it isn't much of the developed world, and I lived in Tokyo, I, I still feel like I should be living in I lived in Tokyo for many years. And I still, in my heart, still live there. Um, however... At some point, I think you're going to see a mass migration of these folks, uh, these aging populations, moving to Southeast Asia, especially the ones who didn't have kids. Like an example that Tomiko gives, who's going to take care of these older folks, especially if they don't have kids? Well, they might end up moving to Southeast Asia, where they can essentially have a sort of extended family who does take care of them. Uh, where, as Lakeisha will tell you, like the little neighborhoods that you live in in Thailand, like the people look after each other in a, in a way that doesn't happen. And even in, especially in Japan, even in, uh, in, in Tokyo specifically. Well, actually, many Japanese or elderly moved to Southeast Asia already right. because, because of the living cost. And also the caretaking is much cheaper than in, in Japan or exactly. even in the... the and um, yeah, we've been... Um, yeah, precisely my point. I think this is going to be a massive global shift in the next 10, 20, 30 years of developed country folks who don't have kids, who want, want people to support them. Uh, and Southeast Asia is kind of, you know, just really comes to mind in a beautiful way uh, in that regard. So it's... Uh... I think it's going to need more of a systemic solution, though, because, I mean, you know, you can't have everybody moving to, you know, Asia True. and Africa, right? So right. countries, I mean, Europe, you know, like the Western world, let's say, Europe, America, you know, yes, the populations are aging. So, you know, like when we're talking about now, we're talking about it because there's a case of, you know, discrimination. So like treating a certain set of the population a different way from the rest. But when you have, you know, more than 60% of the population that needs a specific, um, you know, specific assistance, then it kind of stops being discrimination in a way. It just becomes the basic thing that the company offers from that point on, right? So like with America, yes, it's a problem because the percentage of people who require this kind of aid or this kind of assistance is small enough for it to, you know, like the government not to be able, to, it's too big for the government to kind of handle it and subsidize it like it can do in Sweden. But on the other hand, you know, it's not something that like you can make money on from the capitalist side, which kind of that's what makes America spin, right? So like if you can make money on something, then somebody will pop up who's going to take care of it. Well, so then it kind of leaves Uber with the situation where, yes, they can spin it in a kind of PR way and use this social situation, um, you know, to kind of promote themselves and to solve a world problem at the same time. But at the same time, you know, like, is it their responsibility as a capitalist corporation? Like we are, I mean, I believe that, yes, companies, such big companies should have some degree of social responsibility, but technically that's not what they were set up to do. So it would require some kind of, 
shift either in the you know the leadership of the companies or systemic changes as well that would kind of make it that these companies do have to do it because many companies do i mean like if you look at accessibility on the web I have to give kudos to Google, you know, like with all the things that they have developed. And for SEO, if you want your website to be positioned well, if you don't have accessibility on your website, if it's not designed in a way to be accessible to people who have different kinds of disabilities, your website is not getting positioned. Basically, you're not searchable, right? So some companies do take it upon themselves to have these kind of things and to, to, to you know, to um, take on these kind of issues. So, yeah. Well, when, when inclusion is taken seriously as part of ESG and that, you know, if if, this, if the notion works and that hits stock prices and people's stock options and so on, then that would be a, a reasonably powerful incentive. Um, but uh, stepping back to, to the, the larger problem, you know, how do we deal with this? Well, uh, there are two trends that will probably uh, soften the, the or make the challenge easier. One is increasing health span. And uh, the other is that, you know, the general deflationary pressure due to uh, technology in general and automation in particular, uh, such that you can have higher costs because you're focusing on things like this, but other costs are going down. Uh, so, so things are pretty much steady. Yeah, I agree uh, with just... uh, Magna and Eli here that there needs to be a bigger event, a monetary event that is deflationary. The reason that people, uh, elderly people or disabled people in New York and Japan um, are not getting the rides is because, I'm, I'm guessing, is because they can't afford the cost of the Uber uh, every day or twice a day or four times a day. So there needs to be a deflationary event, in my opinion. It's partly that um, the, the drivers don't want to uh, go through the additional what they perceive as a headache, where in reality that the, the company should incentivize them, uh, create some kind of structure that actually incentivizes them. Anyway, the, I want... And there's a cultural context in, in, in Japan, I just want to mention. Of Most of the taxi drivers, the cab drivers, the drivers are salary men. They are not uh, self-employed. So uh, I, if I'm not wrong, uh, Tomoko, I think uh, Uber taxi, Uber cab is still banned here. Uber car is, is banned in, in Japan because uh, it, you have to be a licensed taxi company to run the kind of business. Uh, but Uber, of course, Uber it is doing well. Yeah. So I wanted it's a different, to uh, business model. Oh, sorry. I want to invite Gracia uh, White, who her bio seems to be directly relevant. She has some professional background on this. Gracia, can you feel free to Hi. jump in? Hey. Yeah. Thanks so much. Um, yeah, so I wanted to mention that transit agencies uh, do have to provide services uh, for people with disabilities. Um, like I know in Boston, uh, the MBTA provides a service that's called The Ride. Uh, and it comes, it's like door-to-door -door service. So like it'll come and pick up the person and it has like, you know, it's like a, um, not like a small bus, but kind of like a van that's adapted um, for, you know, like if you need a wheelchair or like, uh, like it has sometimes like it has a lift or like a ramp, um, which is great. Uh, and it is heavily subsidized uh, by the government. Um, however, it's oftentimes like it's kind of a hassle to actually book the trips. Um, there's like a different interface that uh, these programs use. Um, so I think 
if you want to relate it back to tech, I think that's where a lot of work could actually happen, like just helping um, kind of like boosting the existing infrastructure that's there and making the process easier for people like to book the trip, because sometimes you, you have to book it like a day in advance or like you can't cancel within like if it's too close to your time or, you know, there's not a lot of flexibility, um, which is, you know, tricky or like sometimes it it ends like the service is only available during certain times of the day, which are often shorter than when the agency provides its services. So for example, like maybe if you are in need of the service, it ends at 8 p.m., but then that's very, you know, that puts a lot of restrictions on your life. Like, what if you wanna go on a date, <laughs> you know, and it's like 9 p.m., what do you do then? So um, anyway, I don't know if that was shared. I jumped on uh, a little like. A little bit late but just wanted to share sounds like a space that should be disrupted or could be disrupted like a business opportunity for somebody to you know create let's say autonomous cars that have all the functionalities um you know like for example you can order everything voice assisted and then um you know they have uh, cars that are easier to get into if you have a wheelchair or things like that um and uber could do that at some point but but magna I, i'm sorry i just want to pop in on this and for everyone that's saying this um the, the service that um i'm sorry i think gracie was talking about it's been around in the inner city for years and she's right um <clears throat> some of this is in especially in the u.s and maybe not in japan or the rest of the world is subsidized you're talking about the private sector versus the public sector which should be called the P3, you know, public-private sector consortium. So a lot of these companies are subsidized publicly, like the one she was saying, where they don't have the innovation because, you know, we, we just go back, and I think Greg talked about it. We go back to a, a larger point of what are the incentives. Um, if you're building a company and it's innovating, you're going to do it for top dollar for your shareholders, even if you want to do good, and that's your intention and you can do good as long as your CEO and that board of directors is behind that CEO, he or she, and you can navigate it. But at some point, it's optimization for money or, or profiteering, you know. And so the public sector side is just let's just give, you know, something of a service, but it's not feasible because technology has brought the onslaught or, or onslaught of people living longer. They're living healthier. Older people are living longer. This was not in the models of any insurance, um, you know, accessories that said that we would, you know, be dying like by when we were 40 or whatever, even not even counting COVID. And so a lot of people and Peter um, Diamendez has talked about this, like in his book, like he's like, you know, the old, elder will live longer than they've ever have because they will get smarter about it. Their technology, they'll just change their life habits They'll just be aware. And so then that brings on a system of an economic global system that was never prepared to deal with this, in my opinion, ever. It was it was prepared for certain people to die, neither in a war, you know, excuse my language, but in a world war. So you just kill off, you know, so much of the population or they just die from attrition. But when you have no war, no major war, and then you have people living longer, what do you do with the population growth? if you didn't, you know, put that in your models. And so I think that's where we use technology, AGI, and everything else to deal with that. But we have to, like, change the game on the economics, in my opinion, 
Um, and that's probably where a lot of things can be decentralized. There's DeFi and I, DeFi and everything, but that's just moving money. I'm talking about the core has to be economic growth at some point and changing the entire game of how we live and breathe and maybe COP26 of, of how we start looking at the earth population of what we do. And that then changes everything because then it, it just filters down where Uber will never do anything against their boards. If, if, if the CEO does it, he's fired. He's out of a job, right? But um, so he has maybe, to make a profit. So maybe that's kind of the good thing about, you know, these kind of lawsuits and articles and things like that, because they make the issue so public that it puts enough pressure on the CEO or the board or whoever to actually do something about it. Well, Tyler, doesn't it boil down to like the infrastructure of the highways to be set up for this as well? Totally. But I, the thought that keeps going through my head is if, if it's if I have a company, a, an Uber like company, I believe I would at least float the idea, test the idea, beta test the idea of asking riders, hey, do you want to pay it forward and uh, help? Hey, Tyler, that's a great point. Damn, that's really good. Like okay, would I, they opt I, in? I'll be honest. Would... I'm, I'm a terrible tipper, honestly. Uh, as Ellen can tell you, we we, had, we went out to lunch. Because you live in Asia for too long. Yeah, exactly, exactly right. And <laughs> and uh, yeah, yeah, Japan and Thailand don't tip. So uh, yeah, I, I, I'll be honest, I'm a terrible tipper. But the and Sweden doesn't either, honestly. So you've got, I'm barely does. So it's but 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 but. Uh, and I don't generally give to charities, uh, and I'm I'm not a, the most charitable person economically. I'm quite, I, I prefer to be more. Yeah, he doesn't even my, pay for Ellen's. Yeah, no, I, pre I prefer to be more giving with my time than financially. However, that is an issue where I would absolutely uh, participate. Where the idea of like, hey, you know, you want to add a dollar to the price of your ride that then gets utilized for, you know, disadvantaged folks or whatever. Absolutely, all day long, I would do that. So. I imagine there's solutions because that could be a win-win. I, I, that's the type of thing. It's, it's a human psychology thing, a cognitive science thing where people will get more for that dollar than, you know, you, you get more happiness, more dopamine for that dollar than you can spent anywhere else. And there's, why not to do that? You you know you create this goodwill economy within your app ecosystem or some something like that. Anyway, so anyway, I want to get on. Can I message them, Tyler, with your solution? Huh? Can I ask Jay? Jay, how does Grab deal with this? Uh, is there any special arrangement for this? Yeah, for certain drivers. But I, great question. Yeah, Charles. yeah, great question. So there there is a special setup, but I think the problem is is the governments, right? Like it's not like America where. You, know, you can do whatever you want. You have to work with the governments and along with the you know, certain areas that are designated for disabled people. We, we need to do that. So we need we, we set that up. But we've had this conversation a while ago, Tyler, where the infrastructure does need to change for how all the highways are PMD devices. Right. Because I think Singapore wasn't ready for everybody to be on like scooters. Right. And they banned those um, personal motor devices. So um, it, there is there is an agreement in place, but it's you need to work with the government to make that happen. Jay, for those who don't know, Jay works for the Uber of Southeast Asia called Grab, which is just booming, I know. And I have to ask you, Jay, I was using Grab in Bangkok. We don't, I don't get to use it where I live, but uh, now that I was in Bangkok recently, 
I was used it quite a lot during my recent Bangkok visit. And I was surprised how affordable it is. And I even was ordering Starbucks to bring it to me because it was even cheaper than taking the car to Starbucks. So the I had one ride back to my hotel. I'm in right in the center of downtown Bangkok at Chitlom, flowing Chit, you know, like right in the Times Square of Bangkok. And the streets are all one way and there's these major intersections. And if you're on the wrong side of the street, you're going to have to drive 30 minutes to get to the, uh, you know, all around town to get to the other side of the same block. And the driver came to meet me and I told him very specifically where I was. I'm at the Starbucks, you know, and the Taco Bell on the corner of, you know, Flonchit and Chitlom. And he was on the other side of the street that I could not get to and he couldn't get to me, but we're only 10 meters apart. And so the ride assumed we were in the same spot and it said you have, you know, a few minutes to get into the car. And then he had to drive for 20 minutes around Bangkok to get to where I was 10 meters away so that we could be driving in the same direction so I could get in the car safely. I don't know what happened in that case, but if you could look into my account and investigate that case, I would appreciate that. <laughs> I don't know what happened. <laughs> okay. Anyway, so uh, send me your um, ID, the, the booking ID, and I can okay. look it up for you. So the so, next so article. Tyler, on, yes. on, on your, your point, I mean, it's it's great that you and hopefully a lot of other people feel that way about, you know, uh, carrying some of the costs. But really, this is something that's the company's responsibility as part of its business obligations and uh that shouldn't be shouldn't be shoved right. onto the gen- generosity right. of customers you're right you're right i agree the next one is uh apple unveils business essentials for small and medium businesses with device management icloud storage and more starting at two dollars and 99 cents per month uh, per, I'm sorry, per user, per month, per user, and launching in spring of 2022. So if you're a small and medium business and you have 10 team members, now you're talking $30 a month to manage all of the devices and apps, etc. But for um, what? Well, it's kind. Of, it's not. It seems partly inspired by Google One and how they allow you, if you have a whole bunch of Android devices amongst your team members, say you're a a small business and you give all of your team members uh, Android phones, you can manage all of their apps, all of the whole suite of Google apps, which ones they have access to. You can even get into their emails and there's all kinds of, uh, it's enterprise basically, but this is for small business. It even has Apple Care Plus for the whole scenario in this case for Apple says Apple's introducing a new business offering called Apple Business Essentials that combines device management, 24-7 phone support, and business iCloud storage, and an option so the, all the files are owned by the business, right? Amongst all so the users. Office 365, nothing. Yes, exactly. And So it's Microsoft 365. It's Google's, whatever Google calls their enterprise thing now, I forget. And, and an option for on-site repairs for businesses of up to 500 employees. Oh, that's crazy. The free beta period launches today with the full service coming in the spring of 2022. Here's the quote, small businesses are at the core of our economy and we're proud that Apple products play a role in helping these companies grow. Apple Business Essentials is designed to help streamline every 
step of employee device management with a small business from setup, onboarding, and upgrading to accessing fast service and prioritize support, all while keeping data backed up and secure so companies can focus on running their business. IT managers can also enforce vital security settings such as File Vault for full disk encryption on Macs and Activation Lock to protect company data if the devices are lost or stolen, if employees use personal devices at work. Apple's user enrollment creates cryptographic separation for their work data to keep personal data private while company data remains secure. Super clever, very smart uh, setup. And I get it's because if they if their competitors like Google and Microsoft offer this and they don't, well, that makes it a very easy choice for uh, small businesses and and even you know anything even bigger businesses where Google's kind of out offering and Microsoft's out offering them on the enterprise side, they, they've got to make something competitive or they're going to lose market share on the iPhones. I doubt I, indeed they no doubt they already have uh, conceded a lot of market share of their devices to companies uh, because they don't offer these kinds of services that they clearly need. So the next one is from the Wall Street Journal, did a, pro, a look into Elon Musk's uh, move for selling 10% of his Tesla stock after, uh, and when he did this tweet recently at the end of last week, or was it earlier this week, where he did a Twitter poll saying, should I sell 10% of my Tesla shares? And he says, whichever, I will do whatever the crowd says. And the crowd voted 56% in favor of him selling 10% of his shares. And then very quickly, Tesla stock price fell 12%. Following, And then, um, so they were, Wall Street Journal's looking into that. I don't know that there's much to look into. But Elon tweeted himself saying, much is made lately of the unrealized gains being a means of tax avoidance, and he doesn't like to be accused of avoiding taxes. So if you okay, I'll I'll, I'll uh, sell my shares and make it a realized gains, and pay taxes on that just to prove a point. And, Tyler, that's weird. I'm sorry. They yeah. they I, I saw an article on CBC and some other some other blogs in the U.S. They never mentioned that it was a blog, and he asked the crowd. It, the spin I saw was that he did it because of tax purposes. Right. But he, he like really, only because of tax, not that he asked the crowd, should I sell or not? Well, they just said that might've been on his mind when he, before he posed the question, right? Right. Yeah. This is a chess move by him. Well, especially if, if he believes they're going to raise the, uh, tax rate, you know, cause his, it, he doesn't take a salary. He's 100% based on his share value. And if they're going to increase the uh, capital gains taxes, then it probably is better that he sells it now. But, you know. But, I think, his, I think he money. needs... Why, why, why can't he sell it now? And, I mean... He needs cash. A, a bad move? Yeah. He has, he, there's it's one... His money. He, yeah, he it's has said it. he's going to be... He's not... He, he has said previously that he won't share sell his shares like in interviews historically, on the premise that he wants to make the point, a great, the it's not a narrative, I mean, he's been living by it, that he wants to show that he believes in his company completely and he was the first money in and he says he'll be the last money out, meaning he'll never sell his shares. But now he is selling shares and that uh, introduces a whole interesting 
debate. So and, and he'll probably, and Tyler, what he'll do is he'll define that and say, I'm not going to sell shares that were my original shares, but shares that I get because of stock options or just even exercising the options. Because I think the he had some options, someone said, that were going to expire worthless, so we had to exercise them. The mere act of exercising the options creates a massive taxable event, um, even if he wants to keep the stock. So, uh, so therefore, in order not to have this massive taxable event and to have some cash to pay the taxes, he sold the stock probably that he got from exercising the options. It's very common, as I said in a previous room. It's done all the time. It's a simultaneous exercise and sale. And, 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 the, and, and quite frankly, the, the tax laws kind of force you into that situation. Because otherwise, even for him, I mean, he could have a liquidity issue. It's just a different liquidity issue than most of us are used to because it's such big numbers because that's the way the law is. So, yeah, so he, so he sells the stuff. So it's, but, it's not a big deal. But, Ken, to one other point, um, and I just did a conference and speak about it uh, in Kerrville, Texas. Um, Elon is building a new cy- a gigafactory in Texas in Austin to build his new cyber truck. And that's supposed, and I put out a PR on this, but it'll employ 5,500 people. So I'm wondering, and this is a cyber truck that will drive itself. It's an you know, autonomous cyber truck. So if you talk about supply chains and everything, maybe he's shifting money to build that. Texas is helping him, and he's shifted completely all of his operations to, to Texas. So maybe this has something to do with that, just, just adding a side note, but it's intriguing. He moved the thing to Texas. Obviously, because costs are lower, he got pissed off at California. He got into a, a, a thing with California during COVID. It has nothing to do with this. I'm telling you what this is because I've seen it a zillion times. It is no, it's just on a larger scale. This is this is basically just exercise. It's a exercise. You've exercised options. It created a taxable event, and so now you need to get some ca- cash to pay the taxes, even for him. Okay, that's all it is, and it's everybody should stop overthinking this. I agree. Ken hit it straight on the nail there. Well, I have questions. So, the, mm, I think in the last month so there is a billionaire's tax plan uh, that by uh, by the Senate Finance Committee Chair Roe Wyden that uh, this was mm, talked during the committee, right? So, where this move, I mean, Elon's move to uh, influence this bill in the future? I, I don't think it's that, again, that sophisticated. That, in all likelihood, and this is, I've said this for a, a while, I don't think this larger bill is going to pass, okay? In the, in, you know, I mean, it passed the House barely. I mean, they sent it to the Senate. The, the uh, mansion's already indicated that he's probably not voting for it. Um, so, um, so there's really no tax provisions yet. Um, everything's just a proposal. I mean, Wyden's got a lot of influence because he chairs Senate Finance, but um, you know, Senema's already said she doesn't want to vote to raise taxes. So, um, I, I don't, I don't, I don't think it's anything to do with that. It's just under current tax law, without any changes in the law, he had a, he has to come up with a lot of cash to deal with the uh, option exercise. That's it. 
Okay. Thank you. Go ahead. Tyler, I had a couple of comments. Uh, sure. One is that the Senate, uh, as it relates to unrealized gains, it has been pointed out that real estate taxes are commonly unrealized gain as well. And that actually impacts the majority of the country. So that makes it a complicated issue. And, and maybe, uh, you know, Ken had some comments on it because he's close to this area. Yeah, then, you're correct. But again, the, the, this was, there's a lot of proposals that have been floated, but n nothing that's really on the table to do that. It was an idea. Somebody had it, um, you know, and then that kind of, you know, died on, on the unrealized gains. So now they're looking to come up with something closer to what Elizabeth Warren wanted to do and tax maybe some unrealized gains for, I guess, if he qualifies as one of the wealthiest people in the country, I guess. Yeah. So he would he would have that. But you know what? Th th that's not even necessarily going to pass. They don't have votes. OK, right. they don't they don't have enough votes to, where everybody agrees. You know, I'm talking about the U.S. Senate. OK. Um, and so I, I, I don't, I don't think anything's going to happen. I mean, yeah. and, and yeah. you know, the, the, and, 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 the, you know, and, and particularly with, um, with the, the current situation with inflation, it's going to be harder and harder to pass the spending aspect of that second bill. Okay. So right. you know, it's, that's, that was, and that's been my thesis all along and maybe I'm wrong, but we'll see. Yeah. Right. Right. It's just that I think it provides impetus for the average citizen to say, why am I paying taxes on unrealized gains? Because I haven't sold the house. No, 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 no. They, they were going to limit it to the super wealthy. It wasn't going to. No, wasn't. no, I'm saying the flip side. I'm saying that, you know, hang on a second. Now that you mentioned it, unrealized gain, I've been paying taxes on my unrealized gains on the house every year. Why am I doing that? You know, why is it that it's okay for me, but it's not okay for him? I think it's op it opens that discussion. In my view, you're talking about property tax. You're paying unrealized yeah. gain. Yeah, that's a, that's a local. That's a local tax. It's determined by your local government. It's not determined by Congress. So and it's, that's it's also it's also a lower value than market value. But can you imagine the brain drain of the U.S. if this law? I mean, this law would never pass. But if it did, I mean, people wouldn't be moving to Miami and Texas and Puerto Rico. They'd be moving out of the borders of the United States. Well, actually, that leads to my other cynical point is that the cynics were saying that Elon is moving to Texas because when he was selling $100,000 sports cars, he wanted to be in California where the buyers are. Now that he's selling a pickup truck, he wants to move to the heartland where those buyers are. And it's really as simple as that. I, anyway, that's kind of an interesting curve fitting to what he has done. For the people who don't know in, in this room, because I know there's a lot of international people, Texas has no state income tax. We have income taxes at the federal level. We have income taxes at a state level. Some cities even have an income tax, like New York and Philadelphia, on top of the state LA, tax. Yeah. You know, well, L.A. doesn't have an income tax. I got taxed when I was in. I had some kind of L.A. tax. <laughs> it's not, it's not <laughs> There's tax. a nominal L.A. business tax. It's yeah. a business tax, yeah, but yeah. it's not an income tax, okay? Yeah. But the um, Texas has no state income tax, and California probably has one of the highest state income taxes in the country. So, um, you know, however, I'm going to tell you this, because I, I know having left California and dealt with all of this stuff, 
Um, the, the California tax authorities will follow him all, all around the world and claim that certain profits are California source income. And, you know, he, you know, and it's going to, he'll end up litigating stuff for God knows how long. Um, so um, it, it's not even necessarily um, a, a great tax. It, it may not even save him that that many t- uh, taxes on stuff that he's already kind of earned, which is a lot of money already, because they'll claim it's all California source income. And therefore, even if he moves to a, a, not, um, a state without an income tax, he owes the money. Um, so, I mean, that's the, you know, the issue of being in California. He should have actually thought about moving to Texas a long time ago, you know, before, before it became, you know, that valuable. Um, anyway, uh, I, I, I don't think this issue is that interesting that it's worth this much time. That's my own view, but anyway, bye. Next up is Microsoft and Facebook partner to integrate the Facebook workplace content into Microsoft Teams and plans to integrate Teams video meetings into Workplace. So they go both directions, bi-directional partnership there between Facebook and Microsoft Teams. And Instagram is testing uh, something called Take a Break, an opt-in feature that reminds users to take a break after 10, 20, or 30 minutes. Instagram head Adam Sari announced today the company has begun testing a new feature this week called Take a Break, which will allow users to remind themselves to take a break after 10, 20, or 30 minutes. And he has tweeted saying, we started testing a new feature called Test a Break this week. This opt-in control enables you to receive break reminders in-app after a duration of your choosing. I'm excited to dig into the results and hopefully launch this sometime in December. The next one is that Disney misses its Q4 estimates. After slower streaming service growth, Disney Plus added 2 million subscribers uh, to 118 million. Hulu added 700,000 to 39.7 million. ESPN Plus added 2 million to 17.1 million. And indeed, it's getting saturated. There's less low-hanging fruit on that tree. Pretty much everyone has signed up for their streaming services of choice. And that means they need to go to new territories or create new products and services like Netflix is doing both. They're going into games and into Africa and things like that. So, so, so Tyler, um, yeah. that was actually telegraphed a little bit, um, you know, that they were going to have some soft numbers on Disney plus. Um, I, I actually listened to the call. I, I believe they're, they're now saying, I forgot what the date is. Maybe, let's call it a year, year and a half from now, depending on, uh, not depending on, but based on what content they have coming up, you know, new movie releases and stuff, they expect the, the Disney plus numbers will, you know, eventually go back up. Okay. But it's, it's, it's dependent on, you know, new releases to attract, you know, people to the, uh, the platform. Um, so, but it's, it wasn't exactly, I don't think it was exactly shocking, maybe the magnitude a little bit that they were a little soft on, on the, on the, uh, you know, Disney plus numbers. Um, what is interesting about Disney plus, by the way, cause I know we have people from India and everything is, um, their numbers when they give them are the international numbers. They charge a lot less for Disney plus in India than, um, which is a big market for them because of hot star. Okay. Um, then they charge in the United States. Okay. 
And, you know, the average revenue um, per subscriber for Disney Plus is only $4 and change because of how little they charge overseas for those of us who know what they charge here in the United States. And in fact, that number actually went down. Their their ARPU went down on Disney Plus a little bit this quarter by their acknowledgement because of a higher mix coming from India. Now, they refused to break out exactly what the ARPUs are per country and stuff, but it's very clear because they do give you an ARPU number and we, we it's so... It's so far south of what the uh, uh, is charged in the United States that you know that international is is uh, you know you know way lower. Um, I didn't think it was that bad of a you know a quarter. Um, you know they they seem to be you know doing nicely in all of their businesses. You're going to get these little you know fluctuations. Uh, and Disney Plus, by the way, people forget Disney Plus has more subscribers now than anyone ever thought they would have at this time. Nobody, including the company, ever thought Disney Plus would take off as fast as it did. So obviously the pandemic, you know, kind of helped. And and and, and the biggest issue that keeps coming up, the, the controversial issue within Hollywood, is about what are they doing with um, releases into the cinema and, and how long should the window be in terms of the exclusive release into the traditional cinema. That's probably still the more controversial stuff. Uh, and I'm done speaking. So the next one is from CNBC that the EU's court has upheld the $2.4 billion, sorry, billion euro fine against Google, which was brought in 2017 for abusing search engine dominance by promoting its own shopping service. And this is classic EU versus U.S. big tech. Um, Margaret uh, Vestager, who's the Danish lady in charge of making these kinds of rulings against the big tech, the crackdown against U.S. big tech in the EU. The point is, if you're, Google's operating in the EU, Europe wants to make sure that their own European e-commerce portals, like Zalando, like, uh, gosh, there's tons of them, um, are getting a fair shake against Google uh, when it comes to e-commerce. And if Google is giving an unfair advantage to its own Google shopping, uh, the EU doesn't like that. You're taking money away from our startups. And so they uh, did a 2.4 billion euro fine in 2017. Google appealed it. And now the EU general court has upheld it. So they're going to have to pay that fine. The next one is that a startup called Sandbox VR, which offers VR experiences at a dozen retail locations worldwide, that's 12 locations, has raised $37 million, led by Andreessen Horwitz. And a UK Supreme Court, or the UK Supreme Court, dismisses a lawsuit against Google that was looking for a $4 billion for allegedly tracking iOS uh, Safari users without their consent. The Supreme Court sides with Google, in this case, seeking $4 billion. Tech giant Google was accused of breaching its data collection duties. Um, the next one is Valve delays the Stream Deck 
from December 2021 to February 2022, citing supply chain issues. There, there goes Christmas for a bunch of kids who were waiting for the Valve Stream Deck. And online food delivery platform Zomato invests $175 million across Indian startups, ShipRocket, CureFit, and MagicPin, and plans to invest $1 billion in startups over two years. Online food delivery platform Zomato announced $175 million investment across this. Now, what's interesting here is Zomato is buying up smaller uh, delivery companies. These, these delivery companies are popping up like weeds all over the planet. And you have some very big players like Instacart, like DoorDash, like Uber Eats. And those big players realize they can't grow fast enough into every market on the planet. So they're going to start acquiring a process known as consolidation. Um, and we saw it yesterday where my friends from Volt just sold to DoorDash for $8 billion because they've got the kind of uh, a head start in the Nordics and DoorDash wants to get into the Nordics. Obviously, they're, the DoorDash and Uber Eats and Instacart and Zomato and the big players need to start consolidating and uh, with all of the smaller players that are in the develop, you know, in, in the in the other markets. So, uh, the next one is Google launches something called Project Relate, a beta Android app for English speakers with speech impairments, uh, so that they can use Google Assistant and Google Translate and things like that. So even if you have, um, you know, impair an impairment in speaking English, uh, the Google Assistant should be able to understand you if for folks who might have autism or Down syndrome or all, all kinds of impairments, uh, Google Assistant should still be able to understand you and even translate what you're saying uh, into text or transcribe what you're saying into text so that if you're talking with somebody who doesn't understand you, uh, you can show, you know, talk to your phone and then show them on your phone, much like people do when they're traveling internationally across languages. So it's a, a very cool use of a, of a voice AI uh, translation. So will they be able to translate my sharp comments into diplomatic segments? <laughs> Add some PC language to your... It's to not that your... powerful, Cheryl. <laughs> no, no AI can do that. Kego, kego. Yeah. The next one is that a startup called Density, which sells occupancy tracking tech, to businesses, including machine learning powered radar sensors raises 125 million. So this is all about tracking footfall as it's called in the uh, retail industry. The next one is that Twitter will no longer crop photo previews on the web after a similar update on iOS and Android in May following claims of bias in its auto cropping algorithm. So, <laughs> so this is funny. So what happens is people upload photos to Twitter and then Twitter has to figure out, okay, we can't show the whole photo. We can only show part of the photo. Uh, and then people can click on that little preview of the photo to see the whole photo. The question is, which part of the photo should they select as the preview? Well, probably the part of the face, 
well, what if you have two faces, one at the top of the photo, one at the bottom of the photo, which face do you show? And it turns out if you make these really unnatural um, tests where you have a very, very long image and you put a white face at the top and a black face at the bottom, which one is it going to crop to show as the preview image? And what if it's a male face? What if it's a female face? What if it's, you know, people did tons of these tests and it turns out in these tests that it tends to uh, more recognize, I believe, Caucasian faces and perhaps male faces. I don't honestly recall. But the point is, if you can't, if it can't do it perfectly equally, then you shouldn't do it at all. So Twitter's totally scrapping this and now you get no preview at all. You get, you know, just whatever's right smack dab in the center of the photo, no more face recognition um, in the cropping of these, uh, no more auto cropping. And this no is more why auto cropping. Have nice things. Yeah. So the next one is that Zen Business, which says 200,000 entrepreneurs used as an automated tool to form and run businesses, raises 200 million. A startup called Daily, which offers APIs for developers to add video and audio features to apps and websites, raises $40 million. Blink launches in London as a productivity app for frontline workers, um, raising $20 million. A firm who is the buy now, pay later of the U.S., uh, where they're competing and blatantly ripped off Klarna from uh, Europe had just done their quarterly earnings with revenue of 269 million versus 248 expected, which that means they handedly beat the estimates. And they're now uh, up growth of 55% year over year. That's very nice. Um, active consumers up 124% year over year. That's very nice. And the stock jumped 25% after the quarter earnings report. And as many of you know, I'm an Affirm shareholder. And I even got some DMs as soon as the stock jumped 25%, uh, thanking me for you know, bringing this company to their attention. <laughs> and um, yeah, well, buy now, pay later is booming. And Klarna is not a public company yet. Affirm is. So if you know, if you want to bet on buy now, pay later, there's, you don't have a lot of choices of publicly traded buy now, pay laters, but a firm is one, but that's not financial advice. And the next one is mm -mm, Expensify, which offers expense management app for personal business use, raises 70 million. Um, and that's pretty much your big boring headlines of the day. So now we get to get into the fun tweets as we always do. So let's do that. Let me let me refresh the page, Gerald, to see if there's any new ones that have come in since we started today. Doesn't appear so. Okay, so we get to go into the tweets like this one from Nalormi. Shares this one from Wired that I just tweeted about Beeple. And Beeple, you might remember that name because he sold, he, he really, uh, well, you know, sold the first big breakout NFT, which I'm trying to remember the name of it, but he sold it for $69 million. 
in what appears to be a very legitimate sale. 1,500 days or something like that. Yeah, it was had a name like that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know if it was the first one. It was the big one, though. I mean, that's what I mean. I, it was like it was the one that got all the headlines. In that, that, Wasn't it the first one traded by Christie's or like by like a big, you know, yeah. auction well, house? Maybe I think not, that was the thing. That's Ken's point. Is it might not have been the actual first, but it was the first one that that drove popularity of NFTs. It was five hundred days of digital art. Yes, and it was the first days, NFT yeah. that he did. Yeah. Well, my point here is is that. NFTs, of course, it predated. He was didn't make the first NFT by any means, but it was the first NFT that really got a lot of headlines and a, and a whole lot of headlines. And it brought the concept of it, it pop. It, it almost singularly popularized the concept of NFTs for a lot of people. And I, I want to give credit to Justin Blau, the DJ who, who sold sure. a bunch of NFTs on this platform because yep. he raised. I mean, not that kind of money, but he got. He raised a couple of million dollars and that got I a lot 10, of yeah. yeah, Ken, I was in that room when Blau dropped it back at uh, the beginning of this app because I've been in since December of last year and Blau and Paris Hilton are friends. And I was in that room where he dropped his single and he actually made $11 million off of that single. So you're absolutely correct. It was Blau first that made that big impact on a single in terms of music. However, in terms of digital art, as you said, Tyler, Beeple is a digital artist, and he has been really doing digital art for hundreds of days. And that piece was specifically all his digital art from every day for the past, like, 500-plus days. And it was minted as an NFT, and it was sold to uh, the, the pair of Tubador. It was uh, bought by the Metapurse. I believe it was a Metacoven, who's the other half of the Metapurse Fund, which is a $60 billion fund uh, that is Indian. So it's two gentlemen only. And one looks for the art and the other one makes the purchase. And Medicoven purchased it for 69 billion, if I'm not, 69 million, if I'm not mistaken. And, and the only press that they did was here on Clubhouse or the only like Correct. interview. Yep. The only thing they did here was on Clubhouse. That was pure community. Medicoven came, Medicoven sent in Tubador. Tubador came in and like literally made the made the confirmation of the it was just so freaking crazy fast and crazy amazing because the excitement of bringing the space to life with a digital artist Tyler as you said he's been doing digital art for a long time and this was his first piece of artwork where he was paid in ethereum which he had since cashed out and there was also a big drama of him not being sort of really supportive of the nft space because he didn't hold on to his ethereum he sold it so, but if you imagine, had he held on to that Ethereum, the value of that amount that he made would have been about three times the amount had he held on to it. So, the new piece that we just sold uh, for $29 million is called For the Rest of My Life because, as he says, uh, unlike his first piece, which was called The First 5,000 Days, uh, this new piece, is, it's a work that will change over time. While the piece was sold last night, the piece is not complete. Uh, I'm going to continue changing and updating the piece for the rest of my life, hence the name for the rest of my life. He thinks this is one of the boons of digital art. While paintings and sculptures are static and don't change after being purchased, with digital art, you're, you're buying something that can evolve. Art connoisseurs may not even know what they're buying at first. Something Winkleman, the, the creator, known as Beeple, 
likens to a subscription to art, like using Microsoft 360 or Adobe's Creative Cloud. You could come downstairs in the morning and the piece looks one way. Then you come home from work and it looks another way. You might even love it one day and hate it the next. He calls it Human One, and which features a human or human-like figure walking in a tall box that can be viewed from 360 degrees in a video. So it's a it's a three-dimensional, 360-degree video. He's not planning on updating it on a daily basis. He wants it to be purposeful and for it to be an event when it changes. He doesn't have the next 30 years of the piece planned out, but we'll figure it out as he goes. This piece is about the journey and exploring, he says, and that's what I'm also on the ride for. So, Tyler, uh, that's a very interesting thing that he's doing. And at, from I'll put on my smart contract developer hat on for a moment. And yeah. I'm actually helping someone glitch, uh, helping someone create the code to glitch their art over time and bring it back to its original form. So what Beeple is doing manually by making it Beeple, who's making those changes within a selected period of time, there's something called gener generative art which would allow you to code that into those smart contracts because the contracts are super dynamic and can be. And that's what makes them called smart contracts. They're dynamic. They can be adjusted. You could do different code to make different execution, different. You could make artwork be aged. You could make art, you could put time arrays on it. So what he said about whether you don't like the artwork or not, it's interesting because this is what generative projects are now starting to the next generation is, can I age the artwork by the code that's behind the contract? Can I glitch the artwork based on the code and the contract? And absolutely you could do those things, which is what's really fascinating me is that he's doing something manually that the generative art world for the past three, four months since these generative projects of 10,000 collectibles have been dropping, they're doing it already. He just is choosing to do that same process manually and not as often and not under a schedule. But it's really fascinating to see how much he had the provenance, the authenticity and the ownership of what he's doing and it's tagging connected back to him. So in some ways, indirectly, he's quote unquote tokenizing his, himself because he's making himself available to all those art collectors that he is giving his word that he will be updating it obviously till he drops dead. With all due respect. Okay, can I ask so, a question? Uh, what, if, uh, oh, what, what if Eli, go what ahead? What if, what if he accidentally passed away tomorrow? Well, uh, if I can jump in quickly, he's going to update it from heaven. He's going to update it from heaven, sure. Well, no, <laughs> yeah, no, he won't, he won't. No, sure, he won't update it from heaven. But Correct. what we're really talking about, if I can simplify, and it's intriguing to me, is what um, Ma said. It's a smart contract, but you are talking about. This actually crosses over to a metaverse sort of um, devs, discrete event Correct. system specifications. I know. I'm, I'm, I just want to finish for the room. Man. Me and you know this. So let's imagine, Tyler, like you have this frame, right, on your wall, like you're rich or whatever. And in order for that to be updated and to be authenticated, it would need to be a tokenization of a smart contract. But it was streamed to like, you know, a metaverse. So you don't have to be wearing gargoyles or anything. It's streaming to your smart house. And that art will change, but you need to know it's originally from the artist. And it'll be distributed on a network, you know, a very private network. So you're actually able to visualize. I'm talking about in your real physical house, hanging on the wall, you know, eight by eight frame. 
that's already digitally connected, but it, it updates itself. And you, you will get the latest artists. And that's why I think NFTs will grow and all these other things. But a lot of this has to do with AGI and everything else behind it and, and smart contracts. And I think that's why the, you know, the infrastructure bill is, is doing this with, with Bitcoin and tokenization because they can see where this world is going where you're talking about that's just it's just a whole new world right so it's not a van gogh it's like then to show point van gogh's dead and all these artists are dead but if they're living artists and they're redistributing you don't have to go to the gallery it's just you just invite people to your home whether it's covet or not and you're like here's my latest piece let's watch it stream live you know on my frame on my wall and it's real and it's authenticated and you're done but that still will be a taxable event as far as governments are concerned. Ellie, you have something to say? So, uh, yeah, I just wanted to, to ask Amy if uh, um, she thought it was worth going into the question I raised uh, with her over back. Eli, it's an interesting question, which is basically what LS was dovetailing on what LS said about security and taxations and stuff. I mean, if we want to keep it very yip and yanaka, he's an artist, he's doing a job, right? He's being commissioned. And I believe that from a commissioned art artist perspective, he's commissioning, he's tokenizing his art skills. I mean, Eli, it sounds like he's literally creating his own UBI, to be quite frank, he's creating his own universal basic income. He's like, screw this, man. I'm going to keep myself relevant by, you know, continuing to do my digital art and getting people to buy and continue to stay engaged. And to LS's point, all he needs to do, if God forbid he, he passes away, he's a very intelligent uh, man. He probably already has documents in place that if he were to pass away unexpectedly, that there could be already elements in place to protect his art because that's something that now can be done while you're alive. Whereas Van Gogh, when he cut out, when he died, you know, why do artists have to die before they become famous, you know? But now it's quite interesting how he can definitely be proactive about how that's managed after he dies. And also, so no one does what they've done to uh, Jean-Michel Basquiat's work, that they're constantly uh, going after the state of the family trying to steal his sketches and stuff and try to sell them under underneath the family's estate. So, and I know the family, so I'm just saying, he's protecting his legacy for sure if he's already got that in place. So security-wise, tax-wise, I just see it as he's creating his uh, work. Oh, 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 so, so I meant this in the SEC sense of security. Yeah, no, that's what I'm saying. I mean, he, Eli, if this is his work and he's an artist, what does the SEC have to do with it if this is his work? Um, that would be normal taxation it, as an artist. Well, but the, it's regulation of sale of securities. That's the issue that would be invoked. That's the problem. That yeah. I agree, Eli. They're, they're going to tax it triply. I agree, Eli. They will, they will triple taxes. So you're correct. The movement of the transaction at every single time, Eli, will be sense. a taxable event. Well, but it will. Not, just, not just that, registration. Oh, yes. Registration of what? No, who, who owns it, who bought it. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Eli. Correct. It's going to be, that's KYCing right there because everyone's going to know who owns his artwork. So he's going to, all those, all those collectors will be the ones that will be tagged because all those collectors are moving his artwork back and forth. If I was the artist, I would set up a DAO, have the DAO own the artwork. 
on a smart contract and distribute it that way. Yeah, Craig, the challenge is, is this is a, you're, you made a really, really spot on statement. The challenge there is that Beeple is not very crypto savvy. He's not very savvy. And he even said it in an interview himself right after he was in the room when, when that was dropped because I was in that room. He even commented on it. He was like, I don't freaking know any of this. He's like, I don't understand any of this. And he, he didn't seem, he's I think 42 years old, 43 years old. It's just not his jam. You know, he, he just did not want to wrap himself around understanding this space. But you're right, Craig, maybe there's someone in his camp that could help guide and sort of um, suggest or strategize with him. But that takes someone to be inside his camp. And when I saw him talking with his family inside the app, I'm like, wow, man, the, he, he doesn't even want any part of this space. He just it wasn't him. And that's where we may think something, but the artist has to be in that space in that vibrational frequency to sit there and understand how to activate it for themselves and their family. I think it's interesting how he's moved from the NFT space into the physical art market, you know, with installations. Yes. I think this has repercussions. I mean, I don't know enough about the tax implications, but certainly some of those will go away. Um, I don't know how NFTs are seen. Are they seen as a speculative asset um, like of cryptocurrencies but nope. certainly I, I think this is a smart move because he's got a brand now pushes into installation physical artwork and he's in the real world which means you know he's no longer tethered to to cryptocurrency payments um, by and large I'm assuming this 20 29 million dollars from the Swiss buyer um, in the latest auction but this was all in cryptocurrencies was it not 100% sure. Tyler was in the article. Does it say if it was paid in fiat or crypto from Switzerland? Does it give that descriptor? I'm reading it here in the Wired article. But Jonathan, and, and, have, and one thing, a, I'm sorry, Amay, one thing, I don't think, I just want to, this is LS, I just want to make my point. I don't think they care. See, what I'm saying is a different point. And Amay, you know that, but crypto doesn't always mean anonymity. I think a lot of people are okay with it. Like, I want you yeah, to know I, I bought this shit. I agree. And I don't care. I'll pay the tax. But like, Elon would be like, yeah, I paid it. I bought it. That's me. Right. I'm good. Yeah. Now, come well, see it in my house. Of, LS, there's a number of very wealthy billionaires that, like, I mean, I could stalk their wallets right now. And I could tell you what they have as NFTs. They're not hiding it. You just have to be savvy enough to know who they are and where their wallets are sitting. But the as they say, it's hidden in plain sight. These folks wallets they there you can see them they're on the blockchain there's nothing hidden and quite frankly i think it's the people that are trying to hide shit that are going to be the ones that people will go after five times harder because i think a lot of people are just doing what they love i don't think they're sort of doing any nefarious stuff especially the artists i mean come on for the majority of them are like people that are just super excited to do art and actually be recognized for doing this art that no one probably would ever looked at from yeah and I, I think also in in regards to sort of cashing out so i i suspect that there are significant issues in cashing out you know what was it 60 million dollars beforehand um and 29 million dollars um I, I just wonder how much liquidity there is there so tyler I, did you I, find I that like out it. you know he's creative he's an artist he moves from the nft space into the installation the physical world and immediately you know he can he, he's not dependent on crypto valuations he, he can move into now sort of, you know, hard fiat cash. Um, well, he so did that before, Jonathan. He literally just cashed out the whole amount from ETH to 
dollars back when he did that Christie's sale. And this human one sold again through Christie's. So my suspicion is if I had to, I had to guess, my suspicion is that the sale was in fiat, but it, actually from what I'm understanding from Farouk, who's inside the app and he's, a, he's one of the mods in here, who's very, very, uh, he's been there since day one. He's super, he's got like some like crazy amount of followers because he's done a lot of drops. He actually said, quoting, another huge moment for NFTs and for the culture we're trying to build with the traditional art world. Keep going, my friends. And he was talking about people's human ones. So Jonathan, you said something very valid about it going into the real world, but he's making a link for the real world and the NFT world by doing this. He's linking it because his first drop was an NFT. His second drop is actually Christie's alive piece of artwork that's gonna be changing by his hand. So I think it's actually quite the opposite. He's bringing awareness into the NFT space. And quite frankly, this, is, this whole space is going crazy in NFTs and gaming right now in Metaverse. It is going mad. I don't think I've seen you, so you, you much could, you, could, you could acknowledge that he might be looking at it in, in the opposite way. So as you pointed out, um, I didn't realize this, that he doesn't really know much about sort of blockchain technologies and, and, and the technology behind NFTs. It could be the, the, the case that actually he's not sure how much um, life the market has in it. Will it continue to boom? And so therefore a transition back into the physical world means that his brand's protected. If he's just an NFT artist and let's say the market collapse from one day to the next, then that's it. That's all he'll ever be known as. Whereas well, if he transitions into the physical world, you know, there is still, he can still say this actual installation. True, but he's not transitioning to the physical world. He's a little bit smarter than that. Tyler, did you see the piece of artwork? He's transitioning to the metaverse. Like yep. you need to see this artwork. I'm yeah, going to tweet it out. It's so fucking dope. Like, it's, pardon my French. Cool. Yeah. it's super cool. And this is what Ellis is saying. It's going into the metaverse. This is not going to go on. Someone in Switzerland sees this as, I mean, I'm looking at it and it's completely sick. Like, I love it. Like if I had that kind of money, I would buy it. It's brilliant what he's done. And yeah. this is skipping over in real life and it's going into the metaverse. So it's fairly liquid, Jonathan. Um, he can sell his artwork, and then if he wants to swap out of the um, Ethereum-based NFT, he can do that to fiat or a stablecoin. Um, but really, he's being silly, stupid with his money. He should be borrowing against the ETH if he wants fiat money, not cashing out. That's what creates the taxable event. Yeah, I, I don't know enough about that, but I would imagine if there is a tax implication, then, you know, he, he's receiving, you know, if it's an asset, it's classed as such, he gets taxed three times. Jesus, I mean, you know, it goes for $30 million and he walks away with maybe sort of $10 million maximum. Um, still nice money, but um, I, I mean, overall, I, I have my doubts about people, but I, I, I agree this, this latest work sort of strikes me very much in, in the same way when I saw sort of Damien Hurst's, you know, yeah. cow in formaldehyde and, yep. and, and those installations. So it does make you think, sort of step back and think. Um, I'm not so sure I'm convinced about the whole metaverse hype, but as a piece of art, it's interesting and, and it's engaging and that's what art's about. What would Tyler? be amazing? Yeah, yeah, hold on. It would be, I completely agree with you, Jonathan. It has a Damien Hurst kind of vibe to it, although a very modern you know, uh, 
you know, a geek version of Damien Hirst. Yeah, no, it's great. I mean, look, Damien Hirst has become very stale and boring um, and, and, and formulaic. And art's not meant to be like that. And so at right. least someone new on, is on the scene doing, yeah. doing something new and, and in a digital sense. Yeah, it's, it's go absolutely gorgeous. What I think would take it to the next level, which you could still do after the fact, and that's what's so interesting about it, is if this piece also existed in the metaverse so that you, could, uh, you don't have to go see it physically, you can put on an Oculus headset and go watch it in the metaverse. And then they coexist um physically and digitally so that when it get, does get updated it's updated in both places simultaneously and then then that it becomes a whole new element of art in a way which is yeah no i i, I definitely agree with that tyler i mean the point i make about the metaverse is i'm talking about sort of mass market proposition with heavy headsets and and sort of motion sickness and all the other things that go with it at the moment maybe they'll be, maybe they'll be addressed but uh Jonathan. I, I get that. I mean, I recently sat in front of June, you know, because of the cinematography, um, a completely immersive experience. I mean, if I could have that in a virtual reality environment for, for an hour, an hour and a half, uh, yeah, I'd definitely sign up for it. And Jonathan, uh, just imagine, though, that sooner than later, in my opinion, you don't have to put on goggles. It's a, it's a certain screen that's on your wall. So no one needs to wear anything. And they come to your house and they can see it. Tyler, yeah. there's something very interesting about this. And I was just chatting with a couple, of, a, couple in the audience, a couple of people in the audience because there's always something very interesting. And I know Ken's probably going to comment on it again, but not in a bad way because we love you, Ken. Um, in Switzerland, it's similar to Netherlands. The capital gain, there is no capital gains tax. There's wealth tax. And when we start looking at those little narratives, why do you think so many people, when they collect art, where they're collecting from, I mean, the second artist that, that sort of has had a major, major coup as well, Tyler, is the digital artist, uh, Misha Klein, who was born in 1964, who had some really, really powerful exhibits in London, like back in the day. And he just, he's the creator of the crypto pills, and he's Dutch living in, I think, Hong Kong. I'm not sure if he lives, I think he lives in Hong Kong. But my point is, is that it's really fascinating to see how these digital artists of, some of them of yesteryear are older digital artists. I'm actually commending them that they're really powerfully taking this, this space by storm and saying, I'm going to take it on board. I'm going to find a way to connect in there one way or the other. And, and they're doing it, you know, like Misha Klein. Uh, people. People's like in his 40s. Misha Klein's, uh, pfft, what is he now? He's going to be 60 or something. I don't know how old he is. He's in 64, so he's probably like 60 years old or something. I don't know. I can't do the math so quickly in my head on that one. 57. Thank you, sir. But that's the thing that's very interesting because even Gary Vernacek, who was in the app as well in the beginning in January and February of this year, he had his people inside the app as well. Gary V was in the app. They were going balls to the wall to pick up information and data on the NFTs. And when he left the app, he had all his team from Vaynerchuk Media inside all these NFT rooms. And look at him. He's like literally going completely nuts investing in these companies 
through venture capital firms as well. So when I see that, I see that this space is growing. And I, I have to respectfully disagree about the metaverse, but the metaverse is coming hard and fast. I think the challenge is, is that wrapping yourself around it right now is difficult because it's such a, also a generational thing because there's a lot of young people that are like, like uh, for example, Victoria, our queen Victoria, you know, she loves AR VR. You know, we used to have those VR AR rooms in the beginning back in the day. And she was also ahead of her time and what she was doing and what she was designing and building. And that's what we're going towards. And it's never about what we have in the front of our face. It's what we could see in the distance. So the challenge here is, can we not be, uh, can we be a bit more projecting into the forecast of what the possibility is going to look like in five, 10 years? Because I see it as massive when you start seeing all these hotels of the future needing to get their styled hotels and they could carry different artwork without ever having to pay for a shipping and crate cost or a customs duty to bring in the piece of artwork. That's a big challenge. I studied art history for four years. My mom worked in import-export in New York City and JFK and Newark Airport. It is a bitch to bring in artwork. It is a bitch to bring in artwork across the country borders to display it in someone's hotel, someone's private home. It is just a bureaucratic administration nightmare. That's why not a lot of people do it. But when you start to see that this could revolutionize and democratize and decolonize how artwork is shared across the globe and presented without impacting the environment by it being flown over or it being created and shipped. So there's a lot of disruption in the process here as well. Okay. So the, let's get into more tweets here. Um, New York Times article headline says, Amazon on the high seas. Amazon racing to get products from factories to our homes in time for Christmas, in time for the holidays and Christmas, lures merchants with chartered cargo ships. So <laughs> Amazon has to take control of the actual ships to make sure the stuff arrives. That uh, not a surprise. They're also taking control of the airplanes. They're really getting huge into this. I mean, you... Amazon started out reliant on FedEx and UPS, and now they have their own trucks. And then they were reliant on the big container ships going between the Atlantic and the Pacific. And now they're taking over the ships. They were reliant on the airplanes. Now they're taking over the airplanes. They're going to, they're, they're now, watch how this plays out. Eventually, they will take over the factories. This is inevitable. Do we but not Tyler. See Yes. Yeah, but Tyler, to your to point and Emma's point, we will follow COP26 at some point. So even Amazon, if they continue to grow and expand, will have to lower their carbon footprint. And so when you start thinking about digital or metaverse or where we're really going, whether we agree or not, I, I just, you know, I've talked about this before. I just think we're going to shift from where the world, we're not shifting, you know, shipping so much physical footprint, so to speak. And that has to do with, um, I think it was GANS, uh, you know, the Glasgow's Finance Alliance or something that said they would commit $130 trillion in the next 10 to 20 years of investing in companies that did not create a carbon footprint. And that's $130 trillion with a T. So that was the alliance that came out of COP26, um, I believe, last week. And this is the financial companies, not the government's that said they would put forth $130 trillion with a T, 
collectively in the next 10 years that did something that, you know, did not make the environment worse than what it is today. So when you start looking at these trend lines, um, and it's something I do, but when you look at these trend lines, you're looking at a whole different shift than what we were. And I always say this, like, right, we all are here. Thank God it's Clubhouse. We we're friends. But we're on an app from the iPhone. The iPhone was only 2007. So for those of us that's older, before that, we were, you know, using these physical things and Blackberries and texting. So without the iPhone and other smartphones, you know, with the sliding glass, you couldn't have the app store. You couldn't have the whole ecosystem. You couldn't see those trends prior to that. And I think we're going through this again. That's all. So check this out. This next article, unrelated but directly related. Um, I just tweeted it out uh, to the Twitter account. It says, what Norwegians are learning as they pioneer autonomous ships. Norway is leading the world in developing autonomous ship technology and the world should pay attention to its latest developments. And I, I say this is related because if Amazon, just like they took over uh, FedEx and UPS for the, the trucking of the goods, you know, in, in the cities and across cities, and now they're going to take over the ships, you know, from China or wherever the goods are made to, you know, wherever they're going into the Europe or the US, and you have these massive Amazon container ships, well, just like they're... Uh, the trucks that are doing the deliveries, they're already testing autonomous truck deliveries. This article is all about autonomous ships. So uh, Norway is leading the world in developing autonomous ships and the world should pay attention. Norway is the perfect place to develop autonomous ships. Norwegians love boats. They love technology and they love to cooperate. Uh, on top of that, autonomous ships have practical applications that could affect the lives of many in Norway. And... I wonder if they're partnering places. with the I wonder if they're partnering with a, D a Dutch company with that as well Tyler because the Dutch also really love their ships and they're really good at building out sort of vessels and stuff. I mean they've got the vessels in Norway but the Dutch have like this crazy love of boats and water and sea and I would be curious to see if they're going to collaborate with anyone in uh, Holland. But then again we won't have a crowded uh, Suez Canal the, then. One of the big issues at the moment is that the people who operate, uh, who, who work on these uh, container ships uh, no longer want to, and they collectively wrote a letter to the all of the world's leaders at the UN General Assembly saying that because of all of this container ship um, um, shitstorm that's brewing, which really ignited based on the uh, ever, ever not, what was the evergreen boat that was in the Suez Canal, and that kind of really tipped everything into a downward spiral. The and one that got stuck is what you mean, Tyler, right? Yep. The, yes. one, the one that was stuck, yeah. Yep. And the point is, now you've got these ships that are stranded off of ports for sometimes weeks, and in some cases, months. And this is totally causing absolute economic havoc in the lives of the people on those vessels, because they're used to doing these very predetermined uh, contracts. You know, it's going to be a 10-day journey or a 20-day journey, and then I'm going to go on to the next job and the next job and the next job, almost like Uber, you know, gigs, where, you know, you know how long the, it's going to take. And 
now they don't. Now they're being stuck on a ship for two months. They can't get off. It's like a floating prison and they're, they can't be home for Christmas and the kids' birthdays and enough is enough and they're stopping. And that's where these autonomous ships could become incredibly interesting, especially Amazon being Amazon, of course, will be the leader of that for sure and could give them a real asymmetric advantages, especially if they start buying. There's, by the way, it, there's a there's not uh, there's only a, a thousand or so of these massive container ships, and they could conceivably do uh, take a you know a significant percentage of them and monopolize a bit of the global logistics in doing so, which would you know work against uh, everybody else and potentially so. Give themselves and a it would be a tremendous interesting time to jump in right now because uh, the industry is uh, trying to shift to biofuel, uh, but it takes, like, I don't know, uh, 20 or 30 years before uh, the ship is ready for renewal. Uh, so if you are going in and buying new ships now, you should absolutely buy them running on biofuel because that's also what the customers want. So that could be super, super interesting and a uh, competitive advantage if they uh, kind of enter now uh, with new ships. So the next one is from Manaz. And the headline says, why reversing aging will transform medicine and society. Well, I think we know <laughs> that that will happen. And there is a lot of progress happening in labs. That's most notably at Harvard and UCLA of reversing aging. I know that sounds science fiction, but it's happening in labs with mice. So it says likely the biggest breakthrough in medicine of all time will be the reversal of the aging process. The reasons for this are logical and straightforward, but are still a little too, a, a too are all too little known, even by the medical community and pharmaceutical companies. Medicine and human health in general has been notoriously difficult to disrupt. It says uh, likely the yeah medicine and human health in general has been notoriously difficult to disrupt. In other words, medicine and our health needs disruption. The disruption is coming in the form of fascinating new technologies like gene editing, transcriptomic drugs, novel gene therapies, AI, improved cell therapies, organ printing, and so on. However, the biggest disruption will likely come from reversing aging. There are several reasons why making people younger again will transform medicine, our health, and our society as a whole. The first reason is that reversing aging will likely be the most powerful and effective way to prevent and treat aging-related diseases. After all, aging is the main and most important cause of aging-related diseases like heart disease, cancers, Alzheimer's, osteoporosis, macular degeneration, um, osteoarthritis, aging-related decline in kidney function, and so on. So the same processes that cause these diseases cause aging. By targeting aging, we target the root cause of these diseases. These aging processes are, for example, epigenetic changes, protein accumulation, mitochondrial dysfunction, and decline of DNA repair, an increase in sen sentient cells, and so on. Unfortunately, how these processes cause aging is hardly taught in medical school. Many medical doctors still think that aging and aging-related diseases are two distinct processes. They consider aging a natural process, while heart disease is caused by a disease process like accumulation of cholesterol-filled immune cells in the blood vessel wall. However, these disease processes are caused by a deeper-rooted process, which encompasses aging itself. In a similar unfortunate vein, governments spend billions of dollars to cure 
individual aging-related diseases, but hardly invest any money into addressing the root cause of all of these diseases, which is aging. This is not a good way to spend a valuable tax money. Even if we could suddenly cure all heart disease, people would only live 2.8 years longer, given, given they will then die of another age-related disease, like Alzheimer, cancer, and pneumonia, due to the aging-related decline of the immune system. A second reason why reversing aging will cause the medical field will will change the medical field is because it really will be medicine, not only making people better, but helping to achieve their best health possible instead of just treating disease or slowing down the inexorable decline of our bodies, we will strive for optimum health. With aging, one can still be considered healthy while nonetheless tiring more easily hearing and seeing less well, muscles withering away, and skin becoming increasingly thin and wrinkly, we have trouble with balance, we have foggy memories, and we suffer from many other ailments that if we would suddenly happen to a young person would be labeled as a disease. Yet these ailments are currently considered to be perfectly normal just as long as you're old. If we could partially reverse aging, we could bring people back to their full metabolic and physiological potential as they had when they were younger. This would be the epitome of medicine, achieving the best poss health possible, not just the reduced health we take for granted when we get older. So the next one is from Joe Williams, and the audience shares this one from New Atlas. The headline reads, Spin Launch Rocket-Free Kinetic Launch System Conducts First Test Flight. For more than half a century, we've been sending vehicles and humans into space with the help of rockets, but what if there was another way? A startup called SpinLaunch has been exploring such possibilities through the development of what it calls the world's first kinetic space launch system, and it's recently completed its first test. SpinLaunch has been developing its alternative launch system since 2015, imagining a future where satellites and spacecraft can escape the Earth's atmosphere with zero emissions. It aims to achieve this with the help of a giant accelerator powered by an electronic drive that it says could cut fuel use by four times and then costs by 10 times compared to traditional rocket launches, while also firing multiple payloads into orbit each day. Initially, it is pursuing these ambitions through its suborbital accelerator. This consists of an upright disc-shaped vacuum chamber slightly taller than the Statue of Liberty it uses a carbon fiber tether to whip a projectile around to speeds of 5,000 miles per hour, many times the speed of sound, before releasing it through a launch tube and upward through the atmosphere. A larger system, the L100 orbital mass accelerator, would operate on a similar principle, and it's being developed to launch satellites weighing up to 200 kilograms or 440 pounds, the company says advances in electronics that enable relatively small capacitors, chips, and resistors allow these components to be ruggedized to survive the 10,000 Gs in the fast-spinning launch chamber, and its testing has proven satellite systems are capable of enduring such conditions. So it's essentially a slingshot, or, or a in the old traditional type where you spin a rock uh, at the end of a rope and then launch the rock, you know, but you have to get that thing spinning incredibly quickly and then launch the rock into a tube up into space. <laughs> so like firing it out of a cannon, kind of a wild concept. Kinetic launch system. 
Straight so out of the, I forget the film, 1930s film, um, what was it called? Uh, Things to Come. Okay, so Hyundai reveals plans for self-flying taxis by 2028. I'm tweeting it now from our friend Evan to the Tech News Twitter account, and you can see this vertical takeoff and landing electric taxi, uh, autonomous flying taxis, self-flying electric taxis that take off up and down vertically. And Hyundai is one of a dozen players in this space, but they're certainly very serious about it. Honda also just announced their interest in this space, but there's several players. And Portugal makes it illegal for your boss to text you after work. There you go. As they cater to uh, the global digital nomads. Even more with that one. Korea, uh, Aaron shares this one that we discussed when we met 12 hours ago. Uh, Korea on the bleeding edge of technology, uh, Seoul will be the first city government to establish a metaverse platform where citizens can meet with avatar officials, visit reproduced landmarks, and more. Korea in the metaverse. The question is, what will the, what, how will they govern it? <laughs> is it? How will they tax it? Discord pushes pause on exploring crypto and NFTs amid user backlash. Discord which is uh, started out as a, a gaming community chat area where these stream live games and talk about them anyway. So the Discord founder and CEO, Jason, sought to reassure users on Wednesday that the company doesn't have impending plans to shift its business towards NFTs. And we, I remember I had a thought yesterday when we were talking about Korea in the metaverse which is the idea that big tech companies are often thought of as kind of being government-like in their scale and all of their policies and their taxation. And the metaverse is conceivably a big open, it's almost, I mean, one way to think of it is like Columbus discovering the new world. It's a massive piece of digital geography that is currently not really owned by anybody, although we're seeing headlines even in the past 48 hours that Pokemon Go's parent company Niantic is creating a platform to build environments in the metaverse. And then there was one yesterday. NVIDIA is making a new platform. Facebook has their platform. Of course, Google and Apple are going to have their platforms. And there's a big difference, though, which is the new world, meaning America, has a a, a, a terminal geography, meaning it's uh, not limitless. It's limited in its geography. So, And that entire geography has now been claimed. In fact, every piece of land on the planet has been claimed. So your only option is to float in the you know international waters, essentially. And there's a battle for Antarctica and, and the Arctic at the moment. But um, the moon, you know, conceivably, and Mars is conceivably unclaimed. But more realistically, the metaverse is permanently scalable. So you could have countries like Korea setting up shop in the metaverse, and you could have big tech companies setting up shop in the metaverse, and Apple will have an app store in the metaverse, and if you want to be part of their island in the metaverse, 
you're going to have to pay their taxes. And if you, Korea might itself tell all Korean businesses that they must register with their island in the metaverse and they must pay those taxes in the metaverse in Korea. And they might have their own laws that how you operate, which are very similar to company policies. So if you want to participate in Google's little uh, island of the metaverse, then you're beheld by their policies and you go over to Twitter island and you have to uh, behave and you know the speech that you're able to use in Twitter's version of the metaverse is in, in accordance with their legal policies. And then if you're over in, you know, Korea's island of the metaverse, then you, Korea sets the policies and laws for what's acceptable speech and what is punishable in the metaverse. But the idea is uniquely what the really interesting point is, there's parts of the metaverse that are not ownable by anybody. Where hey, Tyler, Tyler. Oh, hold on, hold on. This is, this is the, the climactic moment here which is for, we have potentially for the first time, the possibility of truly self-sovereign um, territory to create conceivably the, you know, the, uh, uh, the utopian dream where people can behave fully uh, self-sovereign um, autonomously in, a, in their own uh, utopia. I mean, people can create their own Burning Man-like worlds, um, con conceptually. So, anyways, go ahead, Greg. Um, yeah, I, the only part I'm not following is what is the connection between, let's say, the Korean metaverse or the Twitter metaverse and the real world? Is that where the servers are lying, or something else? Well, this is where the need for a self-sovereign identity, blockchain-based ability for you to prove who you are as you transition from island to island in the metaverse or from experience to experience, because it's going to be even more important to prove who you are in the metaverse because we're going to be using avatars. So uh, you're, you're going to need to prove definitely, uh, concretely, uh, who you are. And because of the whole ability for deep fakes and avatars and everything else, proof of identity is going to become incredibly important and paramount in the metaverse. And so it's going to need to happen outside of any one of those islands. You're going to need to have a unifying identity system, which essentially no company controls because you have every company in the metaverse. You're going to want to have a, a system which is nearly identical to what our friend... Um, Nicholas uh, is creating, which is this self-sovereign, almost like a Bitcoin for identity, which runs separately from any company. That's the important point, is that it runs autonomously of any company or any government, uh, which is a truly self-sovereign identity that you can give whatever permissions are needed to authenticate yourself in each of those islands. LS? I was just gonna say, Tyler, yeah, it's spot on, but to your point and something earlier, um, actually, and I shouldn't probably speak too much on this, but the moon is actually being, um, you know, actually, how do I say, colonized by different countries. So China has a certain stake. This has been known in, in sort of U.S. DOD issues, but China says they have a certain part of the moon. The U.S. has a certain part. Russia has a certain part. And I'm being very accurate here. I mean, literally, they've already claimed territory. So then when we get to the metaverse, I think we're heading there fast, and I agree with you. And I think, um, you know, 
Zuckerberg remark and Facebook putting it out there because there's been a lot of this discussion of when we and if you if you, if we go backwards and we didn't think about COVID nineteen like Zoom in a digital world, <clears throat> we didn't see um, you know in reality you couldn't see what was in front of you because everything was physical. But just if you look at climate change, climate migration, COP26, COVID, all of these convergence, you know, part of us who are older will want to believe, oh, it'll go away and go back to normal. No, we, we're evolving faster. And it's not about the wearables, in my opinion, that's going to stop it. I think it's already built and I've seen some of it, but I think it will become more ubiquitous. And then you're talking about territorial. So then... It's, I, I've always said this in crypto because I've been in this space for a while. It's like, how would you have a currency or authentication or something secure in space? So if we, you would have to have something that worked. It, it couldn't just call your bank account and authenticate that it's you, you know, for your, at an ATM or something, no matter where you are around the world. You'd have to have something that's secure. Now, security will come from the uh, Bitcoin protocol, not the currency. I'm very clear about that. I'm talking about the technology and the ability to create tokenization, smart contracts, embed smart contracts with quantum machine learning. It's just going to get a lot deeper and then encode that so that you're, you're, you're still in a peer-to-peer network, uh, but peer-to-peer could be internationally or, or, or actually interspatial. And you still will have that encodedness where it's secure and that identity is there and then you could just move around and, and confirm that. And that's, I think we've seen this with artists, right? Like Taylor Swift. Like, why would she sue and then record all of her artists? We talked about this about eight months ago. Record all of her songs digitally because she wanted the digital rights. Um, some of these artists, are they're already ahead of what's coming because they've been told. And that's just my opinion of it. Hey, Tyler, can I... Yes, um, can I? Yeah, I just want to take you back to what you said about the, the Korea thing and... Yeah. Um, and maybe agree and, and possibly challenge a couple of points. How dare you? Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, so first of all, I get the easy one out of the way, the, the agreement. Um, listen, the metaverse, t- t- if anybody has, I'm deep in research, if anybody has heard, come across or heard of Kent Bai, um, Kent has been doing podcasts for, I think, 14 years now on, um, on the topic, and he's done over 1,600 um individual podcasts and he uh, the podcast called voices of vr and he he says in one of the instances just getting about, started yeah yeah and he he says in one of the instances um uh, about chinese philosophy the the yin and the yang and how it's a a constant battle with the physical the real things and what's going to be interesting with the metaverse is about how we can switch between real and unreal right physical digital and and, and the and, and the flux that we can now explore within that so so you can imagine to your point limitless worlds right in in real life we have physical tangible things there there is the moon it can be colonized in the metaverse there's one trillion moons right so you can just keep on going it's infinite right so the the whole point there i think is that it will things will be different right in the metaverse and and I don't want to overthink the metaverse either. The metaverse is just an evolution of the internet. That's all it is. That's all it is. It's it's a it's a web 3.0. It's mobile moving into a different space. It's using same servers, same technology that we have today. It's nothing brand new. So let's not overthink it. 
And now the challenging points, one is on taxes and one is on identity. I, I don't think we're going to have much taxation in the metaverse, in the digital native world, because most of us here grew up playing Mario Brothers or Sonic the Hedgehog or whatever, and nobody taxed us on the coins we collected in those games, right? And I'm not just saying it's all gaming. Anything digitally native, in a sense of it's digital only, I believe that regulatory, you know, from the standpoint of metaverse, it will stay digital native. It will have value in a digital world. I don't believe regulators will come in to tax those digital native, right? If it becomes digital and has a physical twin, a digital twin of a physical object, like people's artwork perhaps, then that's what we're calling digital, P-H-Y, so digital, physical and digital. That's where, you know, governments, taxes, regulatory, et cetera, will come in. And I think in the same vein, identity, I don't think we're going to have a global identity. We, we haven't got a global identity in the digital world today, in the real world today, online, e-commerce. I think you're going to have multiple identities still in the metaverse. And I think you'll also have the opportunity to have your identity authenticated. And then there'll be meta worlds where anybody can be anybody. If you want to be anonymous, you can be anonymous. That's the whole preface of the metaverse and the experiences that can happen in there. Anyway. Surely if you're, if you're wearing a headset, um, there's the opportunity for you basically to be identified by your EEG. So your brainwave pattern is unique. So I'm assuming that for the metaverse, we need, we need basically a headset. So it's not beyond the wit of man today, basically to support EEG profiling. And then every time, depending, it doesn't matter whose identity or, or what avatar you are in the metaverse. I just want to add one, one dimension known. to this on that in response real quickly. Um, I know we're talking about the metaverse, but I think what we should really be talking about the users because the metaverse is going to be infinite. It's, it's never going to be ending, but market dynamics and usability. And then when you go into transactions, right, if you look at the Fortnite and Apple case, you will be taxed for moving items between places. I mean, I, I don't, I don't see how the governments are not going to tax because transactions are going to grow infinitely. So, in reality, it's about the ultimate win, which is how many users can you attract. Uh, Some, Jonathan, so, just just to pick up on Jonathan, sorry, Craig, just to pick up on Jonathan's point uh, there about EEG, um, definitely possible, Jonathan. It's been done today, and not just through uh, Musk with Neuralink. There are many, many companies in the space of looking at the uh, the electrical patterns. But what I would say is, I think what we're talking about here is web 4.0. Um, deep on the research on this, we're calling this zero interfaces, where there won't be hardware screens, there won't be monitors and computers and laptops and even phones. There'll be the opportunity to engage the human central nervous system and actually work to that. But to that point, I think you're talking 20 to 25 years away. There's no but, but doubt. doesn't that frighten you? Doesn't that frighten everybody? I mean, as we see inequalities grow, I mean, I, I look at this and I see, uh, I see just like a human created matrix. <laughs> you know, I mean, are we all basically going to jack ourselves in? Yeah, maybe, yes, Jonathan. Maybe governments Jonathan, want that, you know. Low, Jonathan, low, low, I, low, I don't even think down. it's governments. I think it's, I think it's evolution of human intuition, humans wanting to prove technology is you know, getting better every single year. I have no doubts that my children children will jack themselves into a connected world. And I don't think I have a fear of that. And, and I think we should have a fear of that. I think with humans, we always have this concept of it's either going to be dystopia or utopia. 
what we've proven to ourselves is over time, we've always landed in the middle of those two. So I think we just need to give ourselves the faith and the courage to say, we can build this and we can make sure we keep an eye on it. We'll land in the middle. There will be good, there will be bad, but we'll land in the middle. And I agree, uh, Aaron, to your point for one thing, because we can be anonymous now. And so to the metaverse, autonomy and everything, you can go somewhere and have fake IDs, right? So to your point about metaverses, they can always be that and humans will always create that, regardless of taxable. I mean, just look at it in the real world. Cash or physical currency prior to digital currency and prior to your credit cards and your ATMs and debit, right? If you go back uh, 1940 circa, uh, before the U.S. had the world reserve currency after World War II, you had a lot of this, you know, there was a gold standard even until the 70s. So. We, we always iterate, I, I mean, I'm saying collectively as humanity, we always iterate, we figure it out, and I agree. I just think we have to balance it, and it doesn't mean you put it in a bottle one way or the other, um, because it will evolve. And um, But to the tech point, I don't think it's 20 years away, in my opinion. I think it's much shorter. That's from Sorry, what I'm seeing. I, no, yeah. you're, you're, you're spot on. It was the EEG. It's the brainwave. It's the monitoring of somebody that's so sensitive to my central nervous system. Um, AR, oh yeah, that's I, that's twenty years away. I agree. Correct. That's that's no, much so longer. The, that's much longer. But the, the tech is here now. The other it, tech it, is here it, now. It is, but the the experiences aren't. And if you think about anything we've done today, you know, when you look at just technology in general, you start at the base layer, the infrastructure, and you work up to the top layer, the user interface. We're starting with the experiences of VR, AR. The infrastructure is being built. So that's what the next five years are, you know, worked on, which is interacting platforms. You know, MasterCard and Visa were formed because banks had to get together to talk to each other and that would create the payment rails. You know, on, only in the last 20 to 40 years did that actually happen to life. So when it comes into the, the metaverse world, we need to build out those infrastructure layers first and then the experiences will be formed. So what we're seeing today, you know, and, and the use case we're seeing today are fun. But what we're going to see in five and seven years, that's the real metaverse experience that our children of today will, will experience. Yeah, Aaron, did, One final he... point, I'm sorry, just one final point. Most people don't know that MasterCard and Visa, he's correct, Visa changed the game with D-Hop, the founder of Visa, because in the past there was only um, American Express where you actually had a traveler's check, talking about circa early 40s, late, late 40s, 50s. But Visa came up in MasterCard. You could only use, like, so me and Tyler, Tyler's lived in L.A. You could only use the MasterCard in L.A. in a certain zone of Los Angeles. So if you went to Orange County, you could not use a MasterCard. And Visa came up with this syndicated model that said, or distributed model, almost like independent distributor, that if, you know, you have this Visa logo, we'll assure it, and any bank could use it. And that started our current credit system. This is economics. So it's interesting to, to Aaron's point. I just want to add that. Like sometimes we forget as humans how recent this stuff is because we just think the credit system always existed, but it didn't. And it, it was very localized, extremely localized until Visa kind of did that. And then MasterCard and, and, and uh, American Express copied each other as companies do. And then we have our current system. Uh, didn't, yet, didn't we have uh, yesterday the news about uh, NVIDIA um, having uh, built a, a chip for uh, connecting the metaverse with the smartphone? So uh, these hardware um, producers have very long roadmaps. They cannot do it in some weeks or months, what they're doing. So 
in my point of view, it has been planned for many, many years. And the question is, what is your definition of the metaverse? Then you can uh, say, I will forecast it for 230 or for 225. Because some people already use metaverse in a very broad sense. And for instance, are combining it with an NFT idea and making uh, creating an economy, which needs uh, that it is not allowed to be infinite. Because if you have infinity, you cannot handle a economic exchange so easily. And this was happening. I'm an old guy. Uh, already in Second Life, and if someone has uh, lived that through some years ago, there was a lot of hype, and uh, we can uh, learn from the debate uh, we had at this time, and even from the debates we had in the early days, not of the internet, which is much older, but of the World Wide Web, when everyone uh, realized that um, the internet is going from science to commerce. And then this trillion business of e-commerce emerged. And in the same way, we will have a lot of complexity and no, no one will decide which will be first uh, maturity of the hardware, maturity of the uh, layers to connect it all, or the maturity of the culture. All will come together and we can learn a lot of how uh, the web has evolved. There was a lot of frustration by the people when they realized that now you have paywalls and so on. And they, again, the older know this, the younger even don't know the debates about paywalls. Yeah? So it's exactly the same which will, which will happen in the evolution of the metaverse, uh, at least maybe even much more complexity of evolution. But uh, we will have spaces with identity, without identity, and spaces with uh, crimes, and spaces with law. And, and all this, exactly like uh, the, the web has evolved into, for instance, the clubhouse, which is a microcosm already of the metaverse, only without the 3D and the NFT, because it's all about the people which are interact interacting, and we cannot handle a, a huge audience. For instance, only I'm speaking now because it's not possible to listen to five people at once. And the same problem of complexity overload will happen in the metaverse. Thank you, this was really. Enjoyed those comments. And also I liked Aaron's framework for uh, thinking about um, yeah, this world and also identification. And just a quick comment on the taxation. I think one point he was wrong on and maybe there was another person who commented on this, that um, there is taxation now in the digital world in certain countries. I mean, I think in certain countries, if you're on the Brave browser and you're receiving uh, tokens to, to look at certain ads, um, those are um, assets that some countries want to tax. Okay. So just a few more headlines to jump through. Jeff G sent in this one from NPR. Says how SARS-CoV-2, uh, aka COVID-19, in American white-tailed deer, could alter the course of the global pandemic. Scientists have evidence that COVID is circulating in white-tailed deer in the U.S. They say the findings could essentially dash the hopes of eliminating it. Oh and yes, they... the, the lions in our Singapore Zoo also got it. My God, the lion kings. Then and then Poppy found with this one about 
Japanese startup working towards autonomous robots that could do useful work inside and outside the space station. The autonomous robotic arm finds success on the International Space Station. <clears throat> so these robotic arms are, are going everywhere. And a company called Standard AI acquires another company called Third Eye, <clears throat> and they've teamed up to bolster autonomous checkout tech at supermarkets, grocery stores. And that's, there's so many, that's booming itself, where you're going to make traditional supermarkets will become smart supermarkets, and they'll know everything that you're touching and looking at and everything else. And you won't need the cashiers anymore. <clears throat> and Poppy found this one from Forbes, autonomous truck company called Kodiak Robotics announces major new funding as if there weren't already an endless number of autonomous trucking companies. Autonomous trucking company Kodiak Robotics announced Wednesday it had raised $125 million. As if, I mean, that's, the, the question is how many months before all the truckers are unemployed? There's your tech news jeopardy for today. How many months before all truckers are unemployed? The next generation of home robots will be more capable and more personable, according to the Wall Washington Post. Tech titans and startups alike are working to deepen our relationship with their robots. Here's what might have here's what we might have to look forward to or dread. Yes. Uh, and they show a robot. It's a cartoon, and in the cartoon, they show a robot with a pizza and, you know, all. It is. It's coming in a very big way, and not slowly. Um, something we should all start uh, thinking much more about. And last but not least, from Reuters, uh, and thank you to who sent this in in the DMs, um, a company called Kubeco, an award-winning waste converter developed by a chemical engineer in the Ivory Coast is helping farmers in the Ivory Coast turn tons of agricultural byproducts into compost for their fields or gas for their cooking. I'm tweeting that out as we do to all the articles. And there they go. There go all the tweets. And, of course, there was more that we will jump into um, when we meet next time, which will be in Jesus. Uh, five hours and 20 minutes. Five hours. Thank you, Cheryl. So we hope to see you there. And have a wonderful Subway sandwich break, everybody. We'll see you next time. <laughs> Thank you, Tyler. Thanks, Tyler. Goodbye. Thank you. Thanks, Tyler. Thanks, Cheryl. Arigato. Thank you. Arigato.